Hi guys, it's Tony Robbins. You're listening to Habits and Hustle. Crush it. Well, do I have a special treat for you, uh, for you guys listening to Habits and Hustle today. We have one of my favorite stand-up comics, Nikki Glazer. Uh, she's hilarious if you don't know who she is. She's also a podcast host, a radio and television host. She's currently hosting F-Boy on HBO Max. And if that's not enough, you may know her from being one of the main comics who do the Comedy Central roast. She's done Alec Baldwin, I think all of them, and she does it and she crushes it every time. She's absolutely hilarious and she's on tour now. I just wanted to prelude this episode by mentioning that we do go into topics like mental health, eating disorders, sex, and so much more. I believe these are all important topics to discuss, and she does it in such an authentic way while delivering, of course, her comedy wit. But I do want to make that premise because if it is topics that may be difficult to listen to, I just wanted to let you know. But guys, I would really hang in for this episode because it really is one of my favorites to date. So here it is. Nikki Glazer. Enjoy. Are we, are we started? Yeah. We're going. It's fine. Okay, I, so gonna, I love you know, that. I didn't know what the vibe was if you were like, oh, like, I, I'm no. sorry. I have not listened to an episode. I just want to be honest with you, but um, I'm a fan. Uh, I don't know, even know how I discovered you or like how you were recommended to me. I think you came on my radar as a, a not me, which is what people send me when someone is not me, but they look like me. So people send me not me's all the time because I'll just post like, this isn't me. This is not me, not me. So I started this thing where if, cause I get told I look like people all the time and I do, and you were sent to me as a not me. And I'm like, this bitch is awesome. I'm like, sh- like, wow, sh- she's, she's not me. I wish she were. I mean, I was like, I was so flattered. A lot of times they're insulting and yours was like, oh my God, she's so pretty and she's cool. So, and then, uh, yeah. And then I saw you were just validated by other cool people that I already liked. So I was like, oh, this, this chick is legit. So when I um when I was reached out about doing your show, I was like, oh my gosh, she's so so cool. Yes, let me. I can't wait to talk to her. You don't even understand like how how much you just made my day because I kid you not, you are like my what my top probably one or two favorite female comics. I kid you not. I love Thanks. you. You have no idea. Like I watched you. every special. You are like the queen of roast. You make those oh, roasts thank good. You. I, I, when I even got this, you know, opportunity presented to me, I was like, oh my God, there's no way. I mean, I love you. Seriously. Oh, awesome. I'm so glad it worked out because yeah. And I just listened to your Ted talk too, uh, on, uh, like two times the speed because I was like, oh wait, I want to get through this. And I always listen to everything two times the speed because I talk two times the speed. So I like, like getting information way faster. So I just listened to you, um, your Ted talk and uh, I just like, I was so excited to talk to you because it resonated with me so much of that boldness. And um, I just got a lot from it as what as you do when you um, open yourself up to good TED Talks. Gr- great job on that. I'm like, oh, I, I'm, right. I'm so impressed. And I learned yeah. a lot. And uh, do you still have the Keanu recording? <laughs> you know what like, I do? do you I have do. it? I do. It's I'm like, you know, it's like, you know, back when we had those, um, 
you know, uh, answering machines, right? So yeah. I, I had to really hunt down those little tapes that have the the the, the voicemail on it or the, the five different voicemails. I didn't even tell the whole story. Like, I don't, I don't know even in the TED Talk if I even talked about the fact that my mother was really rude to him. And then when I, you know, yeah, like... Yeah, it didn't sound was, like she, she was just like, she's not here, hang up. Right, and then <laughs> called back school. again. <laughs> exactly. Or like when he said, when she said, what are you calling my daughter for? You know, click. Like, yeah, was, she probably thought he was some Hollywood riffraff trying to date, you know, the, she probably had good intentions to, to, to wonder, but he, good thing he's a, a good person. Yeah, I think <laughs> she thought he was a pedophile. Like, I don't think yeah. she even knows who Keanu Reeves I mean, she well, was just kind of right like, why is this... That. Most, right? like, most powerful Holly men, Hollywood men are. Right. Sorry, so it's not it's that true. far reaching. It's not that far reaching, right? No. And the laws are different in Canada. They're playing by their own rules. Even if they're not different, they convince them. They go up there and they convince themselves it's Mexico and they can get yeah. away with more. But Keanu, <laughs> uh, notoriously, not notoriously because has a negative connotation, but famously a very nice person has been, uh, you know, videoed uh, secretly giving up his seat on a train for like a pregnant woman and uh and then trying to get her number was kind of like, no uh yeah. it was he's uh no he's a good person so that was a he good really that was a good one for you to ask there's different guys though that would have taken that like little in of like help me pursue my dream and been like come up and talk to me about it you know so you You're picked absolutely a good correct you had a good instinct on that guy yeah 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 no exactly i think that that was like part part of it right like i had I, it was good luck that i just so happened to like the guy or he was coming in town that just so happened to be like the nicest guy in hollywood right like yeah you took it as a sign but a lot of times girls yes. i want to say girls do think someone is going to be that way and they're not you can't always get the set you can't just go by intuition of he seems great so i don't want to say it like you were smarter than girls that don't because i always get kind of sensitive when i talk about that of like like having this pride that, you know, oh, I haven't been raped. I haven't been like, cause I haven't been raped. I haven't, I've been a, like, you know, had bad things happen with men before, but nothing on the level that I know so many of my friends and most women go through. And I've just been like lucky and it has nothing to do. I think there used to be a sense of like, I could outrun or I could outsmart. There's something else. I, I'm a, I'm more scared of things cause I am. I mean, I, I, I was gifted. I have the gift of, Fear for sure. My first word, like multisyllabic <laughs> word, was dangerous. Like that, I would say dangerous, dangerous, and just point out things that were possibly gonna kill me or my sister. I was obsessed with it. So I have this, I'm overly scared, but that doesn't, I, I think that I've always kind of erroneously thought that that is why I haven't been sexually assaulted because I'm, I'm, I'm safer than others. And the fact is, it, it, that doesn't matter. I'm just been lucky. And yeah. uh, you can go by your senses all the time and uh, you still can end up getting uh, pretty, pretty duped. You know what? And also to that point, usually you get duped by people you actually know that are closest to yeah. you a lot of times. That's the part that's kind of screwed up, right? Like it's not usually a stranger danger type of thing. It's usually someone who's like right in your vortex. Yeah. And that's what's um, crazy. That is, that is really interesting because... Uh, my first kiss was uh, assault, like pretty much like it came out of nowhere. As most kisses do, they're fumbly. Mm -hmm. Like the guy will just lean in and we've seen it in, you know, sitcoms of like, whoa, you know, a guy just like throws himself because he's just kind of awkward. But I, I am one of my really good friends. I, I was like very stunted um, sexually. Like I, I, all my friends kissed boys before me. My sister, who's two grades younger, did everything sexually before me. She was the... 
she was like my older sister and she was cooler than me. And I was just so scared of sex and boys. And I don't know where it formed. I think something I'm like starting to think something maybe happened before I was like of memory making age, which I don't even I'm not even scared to say that because first of all, I'm not saying it for certain. And part of me is like, oh, my God, what if my parents think that that I, I think I was molested, they'll feel so bad. And it's like, well, it's not, I wouldn't blame them. Like this shit is so, it happens all the time, no matter how, um, you know, stringent you are about who is around your child. These guys work in really weird, mysterious ways. I've just listened to too many podcasts and just know how quickly these images can be captured. And yeah, while the parents in the room, like things can happen, touches can happen that are like traumatic to a child that will imprint later on. Because I've always been like secretly, like I just wish I wish I, and I, I I'm reluctant to say this, but there was something in me that was always like, I wish I could pin my weirdness with men on something. Like I wish I I've had, therapists be like that have been seeing a while stop me mid-sentence when i'm talking about something else and go remind me when you were molested again and like flipping through their notes and i've been like uh i wasn't they're like are you sure like they're going back through and i go i think i remember you want to you want to maybe hypnotize me and put it in somewhere just so i have a scapegoat for why i fear intimacy with men but it, it doesn't matter why it is my point is that my first kiss i was so scared of boys my first kiss was really late and i was uh like waiting for it to happen but i trusted this guy that was my friend and um we both confessed that we liked each other i liked him so much i had the biggest crush on him ever he was like out of my league he was like in the next grade he was so ha he was so cute and um i thought we were just friends he just looked at me as like a comedy buddy and then he told me he liked me when i we were watching tv after a football game and i was like i like you too and we're just like awkwardly sitting across the room from each other and then he just like ran at me like i think he goes oh would it be cool if i asked you on a date sometime and i was like yeah sure and it was like going the speed i wanted it to i was so scared to kiss someone so it wasn't gonna be tonight because and then he just launched and like attacked me and then i pushed him off and was like get off like just almost like it was a lot but i was also like Ugh, you right, know? Right, and then right right that wasn't the, the part that was traumatic for me the part was he went in the kitchen he was so embarrassed and so mad at himself and so humiliated that he went in the kitchen started like opening cabinets i couldn't really hear what was going on i was just watching letterman and just like trying to be like and i just kept going it's not a big deal it's funny like <laughs> and he's like i'm such a fucking idiot and like i think he was bipolar you know like this guy was flying off the handle and i'm just waiting for him to calm down. i've seen him like freak out like this before but not like this at me and um it was more at himself and he was chugging vodka i didn't know that he eventually drives me home he's going 70 miles an hour in like suburbs like through my neighborhood i'm terrified um and he, the whole time he's like I'm so fucking you know and i don't even know he's drunk and then we dropped me off in my at my front yard he pulled off before i got out of the car and i like nearly felt like he nearly ran me over and i'd never do done anything like this but i remember screaming fuck you like into the night which i was like a mild-mannered girl like that <laughs> it had to be a lot to get me to do that so that that was my first like intimate moment with a man and from there on out i have always been scared that when when i reject a man it's gonna get they're gonna be mad at me and like hate me forever a, or there's going to be some kind of violence. It's like that, which is, well, that's pretty much rape though. <laughs> it's like you're right. just giving in to sex because you're scared. So, and I know that I won't now, like I cannot like be intimate with someone if I get grossed out because sometimes it happens on a dime. I have like, like times where I am hooking up with a guy and something happens 
that's beyond my control and I just like get grossed out by something they say or maybe I'm high in a way that's making me think too much and I'm just like, ugh, like I don't like want to be what? doing what this. What would Give me something that um, like a guy yeah, would say. I guess uh, something like calling my vagina my pinkness or something like just something poetic <laughs> or like lame, you know, or maybe they've already been like annoying me all night and I'm ready to break up with them and I just kind of am like throwing them what I, I felt like I'm like, I, I got to a point where I felt amorous enough to like start having sex. And then we're in the middle of it. And I'm like, I hate this. Like if I ever find myself having a sexual encounter that I am not enjoying, um, I cannot not stop it. And so I fear even getting into one because I know that if I betray myself, because I remember I've had to stop guys mid sex before, because I had the thought of like, if I let this happen, even because I know I hate it, I don't want to be doing it. And if I let it continue, I'm like raping myself with him. I'm betraying myself. And so I've had to stop these guys because I couldn't let myself do that to myself because I didn't like it just so I could save, not make this guy feel embarrassed. And it's led to guys feeling really weird and embarrassed, but it's not my fault that I'm creeped out all of a sudden. I didn't choose to want to feel that way, you know? So I, um, I have a lot of fears of that moment striking where I have a sudden repulsion and want to run away. And I don't know if that's relatable to anyone, but it's just a it's it's a weird truth I've I've found about myself uh, regarding sex because, as you probably know, I'm like known as a sex comic, but I'm I'm only known as that because I have so many issues with it, and I'm I've been actively trying to just be comedy is honesty. That's what I like about stand up comedy is like it's a it's an excuse to be totally honest, and that's what people expect from you. And all the things that I wanted to talk about that I couldn't, all the ways I felt weird were suddenly validated if I made them funny. And I think that that's, that's where I am in life now is just pure honesty across the board in everything I do. And in terms of like what I was thinking to tell you about in, as like my habits, I don't have, <laughs> I was just saying on my podcast this morning, I don't have habits. And that's the key to like a successful life is habits like I've heard that many times like I'm missing out on like that's what your whole platform your whole business is based off of habits I don't have like I'm I think we'll find some once we start talking but I did realize that the one habit I have is I am always honest I always strive I if I I never intentionally am dishonest ever and if I am I stop and I go figure out a way to let that person know that I just said I had four uh zevias today i really had five like i literally need to be that honest like if i try to s slightly skew information i get into a tricky area where again i start to feel like i betray myself and so why am i lying on? were yeah. you like this like so like there's so much to unpack with what you sorry said. about you said, that well, was my ted talk no 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 that was great <laughs> you did a great job we should we're gonna put that on youtube and you're gonna get a lot of that will go viral for sure oh god uh, <laughs> I feel like there's so much there. Number one, I mean, I don't even know where to begin. I was going to ask you about that Taylor Swift thing because you mentioned oh, her, yeah. but we'll talk, well, we'll that's talk about that later. That's all part of this, yeah. Yeah, it's all. But like, first of all, even when you said this whole, you know, your whole whole soliloquy, it was so funny in your like, in in your tragedy or in like your awkwardness. Like, have you always had that? Like, even as a kid, because I know that you know your whole you started comedy when you were in college, right? Like when you're 18, yeah. You're like, but were you really funny as a kid? Were you always able to kind of express yourself like this? Yeah, no, I wasn't able to express myself at all, really, as a kid. I mean, the, the 
that's not true. With my friends who were the funniest people I've ever known, I felt really like seen and like I could be very honest. That is why I feel so betrayed by my best girlfriends because they, I didn't start masturbating until very late in life because I just didn't know about it. I truly didn't know about female masturbation. No one told me. And all my friends were doing it. And I go, I would, if I was doing that, I would have told you guys about it. I would have been like, listen, I, but they were all doing it and none of us talked about it. And that made me like really question my friendships because I was like, <laughs> I couldn't believe we all were doing this thing that we didn't talk about, but it was, you know, that there was I, shame around there. That's why sh- there's yeah. a lot of shame around it. There was right. so much, I had so much shame around sex, but, uh, even, uh, even now, now before, like now I don't, now I'm, I'm like very proud of myself to be able to have sex. Like I'm, I'll get into that in a second, but to answer your question about being, I always loved comedy, but I was always very dark. The thing is, I was always honest. I was, I was always able to really like capture an honest moment and like cut through the bullshit around family members and say something that would just make everything awkward because I was calling out what I was seeing. And I learned early to not do that and to find shifty ways. That's what comedy does is find shifty ways of pointing out the just truth Um, Because sometimes it's hard to swallow. But I remember always getting reactions of like, why would you say that? And I'm like, because it's, but it's true. And they're just like, so gross though. Or it's, you know, like getting a lot of shame for the way I thought because it was very dark. And then I was able to turn that. That's pretty much comedy is just like being dark and and being, it's just honesty. So I I think think I was always able to be honest. It's also observational. Like the best comics are the ones who can like point out something that is so true in life. Right. And then like, make you it haven't funny. seen yet. And all of a sudden you go, Whoa, that's undeniably true. And I never thought of it. It was like a thing. That's the best. That's like, that's the, that's the goal of, of doing comedy. And so when I kind of understood that and it kind of synced up with this point in my life where I just have, have a real um, mission to never lie again, the rest of my life uh, for any reason ever. Um, and th- that fits perfectly with my career because that's all I need to do as a comedian. I literally will be fine. I could be not funny. I could lose everything. <laughs> I could lose everything. And as long as I'm able to keep telling the truth in ways that people cannot, for some reason, I'll always be fine. And all I have to do is just say what I'm thinking all the time. And sometimes it gets you in trouble, but I'm not a bad person. So if I say something stupid that gets me in trouble, I, I I reason that if I get canceled for saying something outrageous, it's probably, I know it's, well, at least I thought it was true. If it, I'm wrong, I'll apologize and make sure everyone knows I was wrong. And three, I'm not ever trying to cause anyone harm. So if I do, I'll apologize. And if I accidentally cause harm, it was a fucking accident and I'll be okay. But I'm really at this point in my life where it's, it's so nice. All I have to just do is be honest. And I, that's all I have to show up and do. Ever. Well, it's, it's funny because I feel like you said something also. There's so many, th- I got to make notes here because you're, you're saying so many things that I have notes here. There's your first, is that your first Zevia or whatever? No, this is like my fourth of the day. Oh my I'm God. Obs- I'm addicted to these for sure. I know, I know. It's terrible, but it's the least of all my things. But I just want to even say when I really mean like it's all I have to do, it's really all I have to do. When I showed up here for this interview, I did not need to tell you that I haven't listened to your show. But it doesn't serve me to pretend I have, you know, like it's probably common podcast courtesy as a guest. I've done it before where I pretend that I know their work and I'm Mm -hmm. familiar. The truth is, it's okay that I don't know your work. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person or that I'm uh, you're I'm busy. You're busy. I would totally be understanding if you weren't knew all my work and I was on your show. You know, like 
it's I'm not a bad person because I don't know your work. In fact, no. uh, you know what I mean? And so admitting that to you and sometimes I'm on stage recently and I've gone into an area where I'm just my joke is like the idea I had for a joke sucks. No one's buying it. Nothing funny. And it's flat. And all these people are excited to see me. They pay to go to the show and I'm bombing. I've just started going, um, just saying exactly what's honest in that moment. I'm like, that joke was terrible, which is always an out because you're call you're cutting the tension because you're acknowledging exactly. what the audience feels. That's an always an easy out for comics. But I go, I literally said to a cl- crowd the other day and I go, I know that you expected more from me. You, you saw me on YouTube. You saw my roast compilations. This is, you literally thought something was different. I'm up here talking about molestation and it's not even like funny. It honestly feels like uh, a, an off-brand TED talk. Like it's not even like, I'm not even, I, and I just call out what is happening. I'm like, this guy hates me. Like if you just, I don't even have to be funny about it. When you call out true things that normally people, the most true thing, you can't lose. And that's what roast jokes are. It's just like, the, what's the most true thing about this person that no one would ever say? And then oh, it's easy. It's but it's cringy. Like, you know, I just think you're the you're so good at it too. And I feel like, how do you do it? How do you like stand up there, say something about all these people, like uh, Martha Stewart, uh, everybody? How did you ask Keanu? Like, it's that thing that it go. It didn't. It didn't occur to me not to. Right, but the difference I have is your ship in my head that you don't have that most people don't have that goes. Don't say that in front of this person. That think that's a weird thing, and it never and it's true, ever though. occurred to me. It never occurred to me. The first roast I did, I was on the red carpet beforehand, and they go, "What do you feel about saying these jokes in front of uh, Rob Lowe and and uh, whoever else was on that?" They were saying all the celebrities' names, and I was like, "I legit haven't even thought about how they feel or how these women like I." I struggled with empathy until a couple of years ago anyway, but especially with this, you have to suspend it until the moment, because if you even consider their feelings, which I, of course I, I realized I did subconsciously. If you sign up for this roast, it is a tacit, but kind of oh, not even tacit. You signed a document agreement that you're down to, to have anything said about you and you can walk off stage and stuff. But I, um, I just feel like it's a safe space to do that. They're signing up for it. They're asking for it. I would never, I'm not someone who's going to roast you in the front row. And people are like, I don't want to sit in the front row at your show. I was like, I would never say a bad thing about you unless you said something bad to me. Or, like, I don't, I don't like to tear people down that aren't asking for it literally or just by, you know, their behavior. And even then I don't like to do it because usually when someone's heckling me, it's they're drunk and I have so much compassion for anyone who's an addict or is behaving belligerently because of not even alcohol, anger, uh, you know, something going on at home. Like I can, when so I get heckled now, I just, I have too much. I'm like, I hope you find a 12 step program. I get kind of like funny about how serious I get. I go, I hope this is a bottom for you. Like your friends are embarrassed right now. They're not going to tell you that, but I'm just telling you like, this isn't a good look. I hope you don't have to hit a deeper bottom than blacking out at my show and yelling belligerent things at me and not really making sense. But this is a bad look and this should be, I've been there and you have to hit the bottom. This should be yours. Don't let it get worse than this, please. And then she's screaming as she gets pulled out. But I generally like, I'm trying to have compassion. But that's different. I mean, like when you have these people in front, like when you get up there and you have (laughs) like all these people and you say things that are like, so like true but yeah. so mean at the same time. Has it ever backfired at the end? Like, has you have you has anyone like left the stage with you in the you know no. backstage? You know, it's like I you're, was you're such an going all, you know to do jokes about Caitlyn Jenner that I found out if she she found out the jokes 
about her were kind of circulating because I was trying them around town. I don't know if she heard it was from me, but I was doing jokes about her car crash. And they were, I mean, they were the best jokes of my set, to be honest with you. And I killed that set, but these jokes were great. I did them on Howard Stern. I forget them now, but I, I was able to use them later. Um, and But uh, she had made it very clear when she heard rumors of those jokes that she will walk off stage if they are told. And it was it, no brainer. I was like, okay, yeah, I take them out. Like, it, I don't need to hurt someone. I, I, that means I just am going to build up the other ones. Okay, we got to get back to work. Let's beat those ones. Let's get better jokes. And, um, but then there was, I remember after one of the roasts, I think it was the first one I did, Sybil Shepherd. Was yeah, Bruce I Willis. saw that. Sybil Shepherd. I felt really bad after that because I was calling her like fat and old in some, in like, the thing is, she's not fat and old. She's like beautiful. And I just, I felt weird after that. She was so lovely and didn't care at all. She was like, oh my God. Because I was like, I, that did not feel good. I, cause that was still when I was learning, even the last roast I did, I think I would have, I would have, after what I've been through, through COVID and how I've changed as a person into someone who really is just trying to do good in the world, but also will still do roasts and stuff. I don't, I think I would have, not done some of those jokes. I can look back on jokes and be like, ah, that was a cheap shot or no one needs more fat jokes in the world. And sometimes someone does need a fat joke. Like, you know, but there, there, I wouldn't have gone so hard on Sybil. I would have gone harder on Martha based on my interactions with both of them. Martha, maybe I could have called her out more for being kind of cold and, you know, just, uh, a, Probably, I think I said something about like you were my mom's favorite growing up. Uh, you taught her about organization and cooking, and um, and yes. oh god, I was holding affection. Uh, yes, and that joke that was just <laughs> true. Like my mom wasn't great with affection, not because of Martha Stewart, but because of probably the same cocktail that made Martha Stewart probably not great with affection with her daughter. I was kind of representing daughters of uh, very. Um, just like, uh, yeah, like uh, more no. emotionally cold women, cold but not because they're moms, bad people, yeah. but because they had cold moms. <laughs> See, but it's funny that you, you bring up Martha Stewart because like, I feel like that's not, that's tame compared to the other things that you've said about so many other people. Oh yeah, her jokes that were tame and that joke was tame, but that, I mean, I'm trying to think of, do you think of, can you think of a joke that you're like, oh my God, I could never say that to that person of mine because I literally can't. <laughs> I'm like, I would do them all. There's like, so every like joke, every joke that he should kill himself. Uh, like, uh, I mean, I said, yeah, I said, Alec yeah, Baldwin, I like, you were suicidal. You struggled with thoughts of suicide. And, um, uh, I've, I've had thoughts of your suicide as well. Something like that. I phrase it. Um, no, because I knew he had a good sense of humor and also I, he, me doing that joke is not going to get him to kill him. I mean, maybe it would, maybe that would be the thing. And then I would feel terrible. What if he was like on the verge of it anyway, he did not seem to be in that state of mind. So I didn't feel bad. I'm trying to think of, Oh, I think I made fun of his wife. Uh, Oh yeah. I go hilaria because they told me it was pronounced hilaria. I tried to get it right. Tried to like honor the, her, the Isn't heritage that how you she doesn't it? have. Yeah. <laughs> but I was, I honestly thought like, is it, so I said, Hilaria. And he goes, I go, how does it pronounce it? Because he said, Ilaria. And I go, what? Huh? And he goes, Ilaria. And I go, that's so stupid. And I like, I didn't even, this was before that all came out. I was just like, that name is confusing. And I just on the spot said that, but like, 
I felt a little bit weird about talking about his wife because she wasn't there. But all I ended up saying was that she was like, I said, does getting screamed at burn calories because she's like so skinny. And so like, <laughs> like calling skinny is not that bad. Um, I think of other things I might have said. It never has felt awkward afterwards except with Sybil. And that only felt bad because I loved her so much. And there was just jokes that maybe would have bummed me out. But, you know, I get really sad after these like, I've gone on record to say that Blake Griffin's jokes about me looking like Larry Bird and not passing for 34 because his wasn't it, stuff like that, that hurt my feelings and made me feel like, oh my God, like this sneaking suspicion I have that I look so old, so much older than I am, or like I'm ugly. Like my biggest fear in life is being ugly or it used to be. And that got validated in that moment because no one will tell you you're ugly. I know that. I don't tell people they're ugly if I think they're ugly, but some people are ugly, but I would never tell them. They don't get told maybe. They don't get told they're pretty, but th th does that a way right. to know? So maybe, I, maybe I'm ugly and this is how I find out. And um, You yeah, don't really said, think you're ugly though in real life, right? I mean, there are times where I think I'm like the hottest girl that's ever walked the face of the <laughs> earth. Like you're, Schumer used to have a joke about that of like, do you ever just look in the mirror and you're just like, Oh my God, like I'm a model. I'm like, yeah, I, I remember that, that all joke. the time. And then there are, the, there's the flip side of that where I've, I don't have it so much anymore. Um, it's not that I don't see myself as I, I used to. Like, I don't think I ever really had body dysmorphia in terms of like what I was seeing. People would say, oh, you know, I had anorexia and people would say, you don't see what we see. And I go, no, I do. I'm humiliated by it. And my life is hell walking. Like, I know what you're all seeing. I, don't want to look. This isn't a vanity project. I am just, I cannot eat and I don't know what's going on. Um, but I feel like now with the work I've done on myself in the past year in regards to food, exercise, body image, I mean, I'm in the best place I've ever been. And I, when I have those days where I see I'm, I don't look good, I don't lie to myself and go, no, you're amazing. Like, I don't like this false body positive stuff of like, you, you're always beautiful no matter what. Like, sometimes I look like legit hell. Like, like I've <laughs> been studying ch chimpanzees in the forest for months. Like, I look Jane Goodall at the end of a fucking dissertation she's working on. Like, I, I look so awful sometimes. And that, oh but God, now when so I see funny. that in the mirror or I see the truth, see those moments, I just laugh. I go, oh my God, look, you look like a legit dude right now, Nikki. Like you look like a surfer guy that if you saw him on Raya, you might swipe right. Like you look like kind of, uh, you know, there are times where in the, my biggest fear would be looking like a, a dude in the past. Like that's the one that got me is they said that I look like Owen Wilson and, uh, and Larry, Larry Bird. Bird yeah. And those were the ones that were like, how terrible to look like a man. I'm like, actually, I don't, I do look like a man sometimes. It's fine. And it's funny to me now. Like I just, I laugh and like kind of lean into it. Or if I have a day where my pants don't fit and I'm definitely gained weight and my arm looks like the way that I've never wanted my arm to look like, you know, sometimes these things are what your body does. And I just forgive myself in that moment and know that it can change if I want it to. But that right now, this is like what I'm supposed to be. It was always meant to be this way. Accept it. Laugh about like, I did eat too much last yeah. week. It's showing up. That's hilarious. I needed that food to hold my hand through the motions I was going through last week. And everything will balance out. And that attitude of looking in the mirror and not going, ugh, fuck, and changing it to, <laughs> 
and you, you look like a legit yoga instructor named Jesper. Like <laughs> having that, like just laughing about it and leaning into it and not being so mean to myself, which was always just this thing people told you to do. Be nice to yourself. Treat yourself like you would your friend. Da, 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 da. How do you implement that? I did not know until recently. And I don't really, I mean, I know how I found it, but it's, um, it's been, it's been a long road to that. I'm so fucking great. I hope it doesn't go away, but this kind of body acceptance that I've heard women talk about my whole life, which I never really believed could happen. Like you could truly love yourself in any way. That being said, I would just want to say I'm still 37. I'm young, 37. I, uh, my clothes are the size I want them to be. I'm the size I want to be. And I'm happy with myself. Th that doesn't mean that I know that if something happens to me I, and my body takes on a different shape out of my will or because I do something um, that I might not change this perspective. But I feel like I've seen, since feeling this way about myself, I've seen myself have those moments of, the pure disgust because th those moments where you hate your body so much can happen when you're your thinnest and when you're and let's just talk about thin being the goal because it but it's not but like for my diseased brain those moments where I hated my body the most happened when I was arguably the sveltest I've ever been and like mo supermodel-esque body looking and they've also happened at those other times so it doesn't really matter what size yeah. I am. I can always go to that place for myself. And I hope now that the things I do to stay out of those, like those just like sinkholes of despair. Cause once I dip my toe in that I'm stuck and then I just, it goes out of control. And I don't know that it all relates to the fact that I saw my cellulite in the floor mirror when I was looking at shoes at target and saw that my cellulite on my thigh was a lot worse than I knew living the house. And now I'm mad for five aisles that happened to me the other day i saw my cellulite and i was like yikes these pants are too short i did the thing where i laughed but a couple aisles later i was like suddenly like a i was just pissed i was like mad at my roommate about something that wasn't even going on i'm just like in a bad mood i'm like you were so happy when you were what just happened and i go oh you have my a roommate? God, cellulite yeah i have a roommate now yeah because i love <laughs> making my life as good as possible i hate living alone i lived with my parents during covid and realized that like I went home for COVID because I, I like being around people. I can't live alone if I'm not out every night, like meeting people like comedy and I'm doing comedy every night. I can live alone because I'm never home. I'm out all day doing oh, podcasts. Oh, yeah. But when COVID hit, I went instantly to people where I could live. I didn't have a husband or, or roommates or friends that could live with me. And so Who when I was with you, so I was, I had to move out of my parents' house because it was just a bad look. I could have yeah. stayed there forever. <laughs> I liked it. Uh, but I, I wanted to stay in St. Louis. And so I got an apartment here and I asked my best friend from New York, who's my opener on the road. Um, his name's Andrew. Uh, we're just platonic, two straight platonic best friends, uh, living together. And he's like my brother slash cousin. Like it, he's my best friend. And, uh, yeah, I got him to move with me. We have a podcast together, the Nikki Glazer podcast that we do every day, Monday through Thursday. Um, and yeah, I just, I'm really advocating, uh, people getting roommates, even if you don't financially need to do it because, uh, humans are social creatures. Yeah. And I was going to say, I need to be accountable. Human connection. And I need to be accountable. Like I will, if I start doing weird things with food or. Well, tell me like, about that. Yeah. Like, so, like my food so you're stuff actually still crazy. struggling. You're still struggling with it and you have no. like good. No, day, but no. No, not this moment, but you have good days and bad days. No, not really anymore because I have a 
uh, like I, I over COVID, I hit a bottom with my eating disorder, uh, which I had managed for so long. Like it went from like, I got it when I was 17, I got anorexia. I did not know what to do. I just stopped eating. And so I quickly was like hospitalized. I just didn't know what I was doing. Then I learned about nutrition and I learned how to like cheat the system and present as like, uh, a normal eater. What are you doing? But I mean, I went through every stage in the past, from the past 18 years, because I'm 36. So I've, I've had an eating disorder for 18 years now. Um, or yeah, been had disordered eating. Uh, and probably before that, uh, I went from anorexia to just, uh, we like, uh, intermittent fasting pretty much where you just right. once binging essentially is what that is. And then, then I started drinking, which made me binge and, uh, drink and eat. Then I gained weight. Then I started bulimia. I started getting mouth acne every time I would even think about throwing up because my, and I couldn't, I was too vain. So I quit throwing up. Then I switched to just drinking and not eating. Then it was like, then it was just always a diet, always a new thing. Then intermittent fasting came out, was very popular maybe five years ago. And in the past five years, it's uh, for for four years up until like over a year and uh, a few months ago, I was eating um, for one stretch of the day from like, if if I could help it, I mean, but I could help it. I would cancel breakfast. I would just lie. I would just, and I could say I was intermittent fasting because everyone knows about that and it's success- right. acceptable. It's like a fun way for me to have anorexia now because it's a, a new diet that everyone's doing. Right. And so I would starve all day live off of latte, I mean, lattes and uh, maybe eat something if I felt low blood sugar because I've fainted before on stage. And that's like when something starts to affect my career, that's when I'm like, oh, I should start eating. Not when it's like my hair's falling out <laughs> and I have no libido and my skin's dry. Like it's when it's like, oh my God, I almost like passed out in the middle of a dick joke. I've really <laughs> got to look at things. So um, I learned how to just like manage it so that I was had enough energy to get through the day. I don't day. mean to laugh. It's just no, you're this so, is so hilarious. Funny. Like it's the way we so even like, talk about this. It's like uh, it's because it's, it's funny. It's crazy what your mind's capable of and what you think are good ideas and how you have. I mean, I think I have it all figured out now. So probably, you know, cut to 10 years from now and I'll be talking about how what my but, ideas of this were. But at the time, I just. I did. It was the only I had drinking. I had uh, pot. I had food, but food was my numero uno would never give that up for anything. I love food. First of all, you don't have to give it up because you have to eat. So I just never was ready to look at that. And I wasn't getting my period towards the end. I would just pretty much I would start eating dinner at like after my last set. I would do a set then I would go upstairs to the commie seller and I would order like all the salads on the menu, just tons of baba ganoush, hummus, like all health. I binge on healthy foods and then I would go home and I would get in bed and I would eat between like seven to 11 protein bars throughout the night. Like I would eat probably four before I finally fell asleep. Then I would get up in the middle of the night, grab one on the way to the bathroom, eat one on the toilet, like just put it in my face. But also like, not really, not really going over my calorie limit, like still keeping it contained where it was like, I have that fast metabolism anyway. And then the next day I would starve all day. And then maybe I'd go for a run where I burned at least 500 calories. So I could maybe make up for the fact that I ate 11 bars instead of seven that night. But I, I had it. Seven's always safe. If there was 11, then I would have to work out. It's like, I lived in constant, like all I looked forward to was my bed bars. 
all it and my gummy what bears. What kind of like, protein bar? Like what, I, I mean, eating, that's a lot of calories anyway. Each bar. No, and they were like 140 can. calories a piece. I I know, but I would eat which all, bar. Like, uh, I don't even want to say it because I don't want like girls to get anorexic okay. ideas. Okay, I know, good. Like, don't say it. It is just not because because there's like, such you know there's such I a had thing it figured where, out. I was skinny. <laughs> like I you I, were I really know, skinny. You could read my anorexia when I've come out with an anorexia memoir. Girls will take notes and they'll use them because I did the same fucking thing with anorexia memoirs. They never helped me. So I'm always reluctant to give out details, but I, it was an ugly, sad life. And guess what? I'm the same. I'm a better weight. I like myself more now, not having that lifestyle. And, uh, and I don't have to do any of that anymore. And I'm not in, only thinking about food every second of the day. Or, I mean, when I finally gave that up, I cried like I lost a lover like someone died because for me to make what an was agreement the point, with, like what it was, was the COVID, point? it was laying in bed in the morning in my childhood bed and realizing that I didn't have a boyfriend uh, in my life or like a, a household because first of all, I'm always on the road. I don't really ever settle down. And the reason I haven't settled down is because I have a raging eating disorder. I can't bring in anyone in my bed because I'm not going to have a husband. If you're rappers in my bed, I want actual rap artists in my bed. I don't want these like literal protein bars rappers. Like I was too many secrets to let anyone in. And I was like, I got to fucking deal with this. If I want a husband, this cannot happen. I can, I have a lot of other things that I'll let someone see. This is no one deserves to be living with someone who is treating themselves like this. And so I just did what I like. I went to a place I went to, I went to get help to the place where I'd seen other people get help and knew that that was a place I could go eventually. And I just got the help I needed. And really what I found there was that I, I there, I wasn't different than everyone that I had always thought that I had to eat less because for some reason for me to be skinny and for me to be the weight that, you know, boys want me to be that world wants me to be, I have to do less because I, I'm fucked up in some way that I can't eat a normal amount. I can't eat three meals a day. I can't, I will never be someone who eats breakfast. And I had to just try. I had to just go trust that like I wanted, I just had to learn to, I had to be forced to feed myself and just turn it over and turn it over in a way that was like, I'm feeding a pet. Like my, it's not up to me what I eat. It's up to, I have a plan and my plan is you don't get to eat in bed anymore. You say goodbye to any food in bed for the rest of your life. If 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 you want the best life for yourself, could you say never eat in bed again and that's a pretty good life? I'd be like, I was looking at my life and I go, if I never ate in bed again, that's a that's a life I would wish on my niece. Like you don't need to eat in bed for a happy life. I'm not <laughs> sacrificing anything. So right. okay, that's my rule for my life. I'm good at rules. I quit drinking. I uh, I, I really learned to. To just These are to, habits, by the way. You said you don't have any habits. These are habits. These okay. are like non-negotiables that you've made for yourself. Yeah. That yeah. you will not, you would not break, which is not eating in bed. Go and on. eating three meals a day. Uh, or at least never skipping a meal and never starving myself for the purpose of losing weight. So anytime, and listen, it's not perfect because sometimes I I don't I get off on the feeling of feeling a little deprived. It like gets me high. Like getting high would like a drug right. it gives me that adrenaline and makes me feel like social and like get energy from not having it's weird so i gotta keep an eye on it but i know that i don't get to fuck with that shit anymore i don't get to have 
I get, to, I feed myself like a zoo animal, a human zoo animal. There is a plan there. You are, you do not get less. You do not get you. Sometimes you need more because you're going through something emotionally. So maybe you're going to indulge, but maybe the next day you're, you're, you're not, you, if you indulge tonight, like, cause sometimes, and I don't eat until I'm to the point of like wanting to throw up, which was like right. all I ever used to eat. I never knew the feeling of eating and not wanting to puke at the end of it. Right. And like going to bed, yeah. like, Oh, my stomach. So now I do eat sometimes to the point where I'm like uncomfortably full and everything in me wants to the next day go, oh my God, you got to work out tomorrow. You have to eat less tomorrow. And I just go, we'll see. If your body wants to eat less tomorrow, it will. Like maybe it'll like not need as much tomorrow. And guess what? Sometimes, most of the time it doesn't. Like it balances out. Like I just, but but you know what? Maybe tomorrow I want to eat just as much as I needed tonight because actually I'm, I'm going through a breakup right now. And food is a safe way for me to maybe nurture my feelings a little bit. And I needed that. And I'm not going to be mad about that. And I'm just, I just have an approach now of this. I realize the thing that leads to me overeating and abusing myself with anything is the judgment that I put on myself for the initial misstep. You know, I I just heard a story recently from uh, another friend of mine who um, struggles with the same stuff. And like binge eating uh, sugar, like some people, I binge eat healthy stuff because I like to never stop. Like I would rather binge eat salads than like cake because I can eat more salad. Like I want more. Uh, But some people struggle with sugars and stuff like that. And this one woman, she bought a a thing of Oreos for like the next day. She was having like the kids, the grandkids over or something. Oh, I'll get Oreos. And on the way home, she's like, I'll have one, (laughs) you know, and she has one. And then by the time she gets to stop, like one more, two, who cares? Pretty soon, you know the story, it leads to the whole sleeve. The whole sleeve, the first whole like row of Oreos is gone. And the shame that she put on herself for that first, the, the, the amount of like, you fat pig, you piece of shit, you, you look sh- shitty in your swimsuit already, look what you just did, you're so weak, you, how are you going to explain that to your husband? Well, all these things, that then leads this woman to feel so much stress. Guess what the only thing to soothe that self-hatred is? More the cookies. Bag. So yeah, the whole bag. The whole bag. When really you could have just gone, whoa, I needed that sleeve and it would have just been the goddamn sleeve. So I always think of that one row of cookies because we all, I let myself have a row of Oreos, whatever that means for you, where I just indulge a little too much, whether it's food or drinking, whatever it is for you, where, you know, like be, if you, if you learn to be easy on yourself about those things, I really think it can lead to that, those behaviors kind of going away on their own, but it's, that's the habit. The habit I have is just trusting that I'm a good person and that I'm not doing anything evil. And that when I do look ugly or feel stupid or feel lazy or unprepared or dishonest or whatever these things are, it's like, I just let myself off the hook for it. I just forgive myself as soon as I can. And if I can't get there, I journal about it until I fucking do. Like, I just, I can't live in a world where I'm mad at myself. I've been mad at my, I've been punishing myself my whole life. And it's, it's led to me having a career in comedy, but now I just, I can't, I don't want to do any, I can't do it anymore. I literally can't. It's uh, exhausting. <laughs> well, I, no, I, I mean, first of all, what makes so much sense is I think that a lot of people don't realize like you don't have to be anorexic or bulimic. There's so much disordered eating that goes on and it becomes like such a mind fuck for people, right? That, and it is a rabbit hole, right? You can't, people are not, people are not okay if they eat five cookies versus the one cookie that their brain says they should eat, then they go all out. 
and the, yeah. the problem is the deprivation, right? If you de- deprive, 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 once you you have that taste in your mouth, it's like game over. You cannot stop. You can't control the, it. The train, it's gone. And it's not because you're weak. You don't. Right. You you literally have no control over it. Like it's it's as like you know it's as random as a weather event at that point. Like you can't feel it any more responsible for what happens than than it raining outside. Truly, when you get on a, a binge, or even when you are starving yourself, like the addiction the chemical addiction and the drive to want to eat overeat when you've been depriving yourself, both psychologically depriving yourself by being like, you're bad. You can't have that. And like needing food, your body like thinks it's in starvation mode, but it, and just this, like so often I just find that food disappears because I'm, I'm feeling a feeling and I, that I don't want to feel. And that's, that's the toughest part. I'm just like really trying to feel my feelings more and be just like, but that's still very hard for me. I mean, I'm on antidepressants. I am on ADD medication. I smoke a shit ton of, I've smoked too much pot, but you know what? And I'm reluctant to admit that I'm just admitting that this week publicly, like in media and on my shows, because it's not going to benefit me to lie about it. It's like, if I really don't like it about myself and it's a habit I want to change, Acting like and not doing it or not talking about right. it and being as honest as possible is not going to make it go away. That actually, it's just going to make it worse. So that's why I like a roommate. I can't like descend into like dirtiness. Like right. I'm accountable. If I want to smoke, I've made a rule for myself. I don't vape weed. I broke it when I was in LA, but generally my rule is no more vapes because you can do it all the time and you can do yeah. it in a way that people won't know you're high. And now I literally have to ha- like light a a bowl like a crack addict to and it's it's embarrassing but it makes me go you're a 37 year old woman on a balcony in your hotel at beverly in beverly hills and you're crouched on the ground because you don't want the people dining below to see you smoking weed this is not a good clearly you're ashamed about something maybe look into this but me saying that right now is it it it's admitting to me that like i was i'm doing that not because i'm a bad person but because i weed helps me deal with some emotion that I'm struggling with that I haven't figured out another way to handle. And that's okay. And I just, and and that's why I like a roommate is because I'll, I'll be like, I have to like smoke weed. I have to like hit a bowl. Like, uh, like I really do feel like, like I saw a person on the street homeless in LA because I looked out my window anywhere and I'm not making fun of homeless. I'm saying it's like, it's literally in your face. And I saw someone smoking crack and I was like, whoa, he has like the same technique I used to smoke weed. And I was like, wow. And it's that kind of awareness and talking about it and not um, excusing it, not saying, but I'm, it's not, a, I really have a hard time judging myself about it. And this is one that I like, weed is the one that I'm most like, cause it has all these connotations that of laziness and um, being stupid. Like it makes you stupid and lazy. Like those are the pothead things. Or paranoid. And, I, I thought it makes you paranoid too. See, and then, yeah, and I don't need more of that. It, it for me, pot uh, energizes me. It makes me more focused. It it gives me the same effects that my ADD meds do, which is it makes me not want to kill myself, not have thoughts of suicide. And I naturally go to those places in my brain. It doesn't mean I act on it, but I have I really depression zaps my brain of. I'm just so unhappy in depression. Obviously, that's like what depression is, but. 
I, when I got diagnosed with ADD over last summer, when I was wildly depressed, I realized, oh my God, I've been using pot for this very same, for that to treat my ADD, which manifests in um, obsessive thoughts about wanting to kill yourself. And, um, and ever since I got that treated, it's gone away, but my pot use is still amped up because I just, I, I'm still dependent on it for some kind of crutch, but I'm, I'm just trying to be honest about it. And the only thing I really see it affecting is obviously my vocal cords. Like I can't inhale smoke the rest of my life and my short-term memory also suffers. But at the same time, like I was journaling yesterday, I was like, here's the negatives. Why you want to get this out of your life? All the lists. It's gross. It's smelly. Your lungs, uh, and your short-term memory as I'm making a list. I'm like, and what? (laughs) And then I go, the benefits, uh, you're soothing uh, a deep unease that you know is a slippery slope into crippling depression that makes your life impossible to live. So for now, I'm going to be okay with those side effects of that drug, the same way those side effects are rattled off right. for Concerta or Abilify. Like, why do I have all this... Uh, I can deal with short-term memory loss. You know how I deal with it? I'm on stage and I'm on a riff and I, I jettison off you over go. here. I go, um, I smoked weed before the show so I would feel good and be in this mood that I'm in. Uh, I forgot what I was talking about. Can you remind me? I literally asked the audience that. I just get, I'm just honest and then honest. they can't be mad. They might go, Nikki, she wasn't professional because she asked us where she was. Uh, well, because I'm high. Well, that's unprofessional. She was high. Um, it makes me want to be here. And not backstage wanting to kill myself. Well, that's, that's a good say. thing. <laughs> exactly. Well, there's a couple that doesn't it make you tired though too. And then also, does it make you eat more? Because I find mm. whenever, you know, it just makes me starving. And I'll eat like nine pounds of, of cherries versus the three pounds I would eat before. Right. You know? I, um, smoking and eating weed is different. So I, I wonder which one is setting you off on the, the eating. And I know that smoking weed is famously like makes you uh, get the munchies. But uh, there are two different drugs when you eat it and when you smoke it. I cannot eat weed. I wish I could. I don't I eat wish it. I, I would never eat it. It's, it's really a matter of fact on me. It gives me headaches and, and makes me super paranoid. But um, smoking it does uh, does not make me feel, feel out of control in that way. If anything, like I said, the, the, um, the effects are not that it makes me want to go like, I want to watch Ren and Stimpy and like eat popcorn. It makes me like, let's, I like want to start a podcast. I want to do this. Like, let's clean my house. It gives me like a methy kind of like, it's, it's like an upper for me, but it's more of a focus. And so I can, I, I just, the food stuff, it might get my appetite going a little bit, but it's just something that, um, I don't know. it, It doesn't affect me in that way. And that's why I, I kind of let myself off the hook for, uh, being a, a uh, pothead uh, because I don't really exhibit the 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 usual stereotypes of it, but also maybe I do because I I don't know I I can be lazy I don't know it's I'm just lo- losing all the judgment and if it did make me eat more it's probably good you it's know okay. like I probably so needed thin. it I mean like, I, th- I I think your defenses get down when you I think the reason people eat more when they're high or drunk is because the thing right. that goes you don't deserve that. Right. Makes you a little bit dumber, and it, and you and if you ate enough already, you probably wouldn't overeat when you're high. Well, hundred percent. I think you lose your inhibitions, and you do what you would normally want to do. But like yeah. you also said, like the depression, right? So like if if you're depressed and you go through that, and I know that's one of your things that you just mentioned. Yeah. 
it, how do you do comedy? Like, how does that, because then you have to go out and be funny, right? That's, that's my biggest fear is, because I'm, and now I live honestly. So when I'm, I had to do a fucking podcast last year every day. I agreed to do a podcast every day. I wasn't even getting paid for it. I, was, I volunteered it because stand up got taken away from me. So I was like, right. give me something every day. I used to do stand up every day and radio. So I was like, oh, just give, I'll do this podcast every day for Comedy Central Radio. And I was about, I wanted to be like taken to a clinic for how depressed I was. I mean, I was wanting to shave my head. Like I was having really just, thoughts of despair, wanting to get hit, hit by a car, like not wanting to take my own life, but not like begging God to give me cancer. I mean, like really bad thoughts, like the worst. And I had to do a podcast every day and it was torture. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. And that's that I've had a blessed life that that's the hardest thing I've done, but really trying to be entertaining and knowing that people are so, because my listeners were like, that's how I found out about that. I have ADD. People were like, because I keep trying to treat my depression and it wasn't doing it. There was something else missing. And I just talked about it enough and got so honest that I had listeners go, if you ever looked into adult ADD for women, because right. it manifests differently, like you kind of check a couple boxes. And thankfully I was able to pay for a test because it's all out of pocket and it's very expensive and takes days and hours. But I got an honest diagnosis and was able to treat that depression. But What's yeah, the test? A brain it was scan? Like, no, it was, um, you know, they, they make you do memorization stuff with a person behind a plastic thing because it was COVID. But I like had to remember, she'd give me a oh. list of words and like a lot of like a uh, uh, computer thing where you hit a button when you see a light to see your focus. And and yeah, I mean, I like, I definitely have it and I've always had it. And it explains a lot. I'm glad in ways that I wasn't treated for it earlier because it happened when it was supposed to happen. But it's made my life so much easier uh once i once i've had that and it's made i think everything else possible but i think the, the first step though was really tackling the eating disorder and being willing to say goodbye to these things that i thought were like i when i say eating in bed was the only thing i look forward to and i, I mean how what a depressing that was when i wasn't even depressed that it, it truly amazing. was i sobbed I sobbed when I was finally was like, did that first night of like, okay, you're not going to eat tonight. Because to me, uh, if I don't eat tonight, first of all, I'm starving because I haven't eaten all day. So at some point I have to first eat breakfast and not eat at night. So if I don't eat at night, I'm going to be so hungry. How am I going to get to bed? But I, I decided to just start that day by after a binge at night, I forced myself to eat breakfast the next day, even though I was not hungry for it because I binged the night before. What do you then, eat? I, I, uh, I make, I have two bowls of oatmeal with protein powder every morning, pretty much every morning, if I can fit it in before I like the podcast. And then for lunch, I, I mean, I, I pretty much just eat whatever I want, but I, I, I like, I tend to like healthy things and like foods that were developed and I gained a taste for through my anorexic eating. So a lot of my foods do look like, okay, little diety rice cake, like tofu cream cheese, uh, you know, yeah. secretly healthy, bitch. but I love healthy foods and I like seaweed snacks. I know that's like an air, like I like anorexic foods that I, that I developed a taste for during my <laughs> eating disorder that I have shame around, but it's just what I like. Like the miracle that I found was when I went back to the comedy cellar, which I've been going to for 10 years 
and eating at the same place, the same menu every night, getting the same thing, a smorgasbord of salads with like dressing on the side and no feta cheese. Well, I was vegan for a while, but, or I am vegan, but you know, just no oil on the hummus because they would squirt oil on top or no oil on the baba ganoush and just like always like I had to modify everything because if I didn't, and I'm like you, I heard your TED talk when you were like, I look at a menu and I go, I know what they have in the kitchen. Like put this together for me. Like I That's never exactly. go buy like a salad. They suggest I'm like, okay, so I want this, <laughs> this lettuce. I, every place is a build your own salad to me. That's <laughs> how it is for me. And yes. I, by the way, so much of what you're saying is resonating, right? Like I'd rather have 9 billion huge salads because it's more calories or uh, less it's calories, more, more volume, more yes, volume. I love eat. I love volume. I love tasting yeah. food. I can't let go of that. I'm not going to surrender that. Some people that handle their eating disorders really have to surrender this like eating things that taste good because they have maybe a sugar addiction. So mine right. is more about just wanting to deprive myself. And that led me to binges. My pro- I didn't have a binge problem. I had a starving myself problem and I don't really have a starving myself problem. I have a, I, a self-esteem problem because I, I didn't like my, why would you starve something to make it skinnier? Like I would, I know I hate doing the analogy of you would never do that to your like beloved child. Right. Uh, but right. you wouldn't. And that's just cuts through it so much. Like w- you clearly don't like yourself. I, I, I did not have a problem admitting that I had low self-esteem. I, I really, uh, I, I still struggle with it and that's why I starved myself. And so it's yeah, just st- starting to eat, so, yeah, like, eat again. Well, was you don't see, wait a minute. You don't see yourself. Like so you said yourself earlier on the podcast that it's not like you don't see yourself as skinny. Like, you know, you're skinny while you're doing it, but it's not about that. You can't help yourself. Like it just, yeah. it just I thought is. it was about that. I mean, it started out like that. Like I always admired bodies like Paris Hilton and, uh, Marissa. You look like Paris Hilton, by the way. Thank you. I mean, I try. I mean, it's all effort in trying to <laughs> Jennifer Aniston. Like I was always obsessed with these women who, kind of resembled like I already have like a thin physique. I was a thin child. But then when I started like maturing, I was just not as pretty as I wanted to be. And I thought that, okay, well, I can't control like what my face looks like, but I, that's something I can control. So, um, but I didn't know how to ever. I tried to diet. It wouldn't work, whatever. Um, but then I, uh, one day in high school, like a boy, I, f- I found out a boy liked me that I liked. And I got so nervous. I just like lost my appetite because of nerves. Yeah. And then people complimented me on how good I looked even because like, I dropped weight shows up like losing weight shows up in my face right away and I guess someone just saw it and was like you look great I remember Jamie Nash who I love but she was like you look amazing do you lose weight and I'm like I must have like oh my god it's because I'm like not hungry because I have a crush on this guy Mike who might like me and I might kiss a boy um and I was like what did I do oh I just like didn't eat yesterday I'll just like keep not eating and then I was just like the best at that like I just killed it like almost killed killed myself and then eventually I discovered I just didn't have a reason to live I like was thought I was ugly. Um, also, I was and when I was anorexic. I mean, <laughs> I was a walking skeleton because I couldn't eat like uh, fat or calories became poison to me. Like truly, like my life would be over if I consumed them. And it was like that grave where it was like I would just sob if I had to like put anything in my body. And I didn't even know why anymore. You know, like it didn't. I I was well past looking like Paris Hilton. Like I was. I looked like a Holocaust victim. Like being free, like that's how I looked and. It was just, it was embarrassing everywhere I went, I, but I couldn't stop it. But the only thing that got me to stop was I just, I mean, I thought I was going to die. I would pray to die because you're just hung, being hungry even a little bit is hell. Oh, Starving is awful. the worst feeling. And also having to do anything but lay in bed shivering is exhausting when you're starving to death. And 
So I was going to school. I was like, it was just, an, it was a, it was hell. It was hell on earth and there was no end to it. And then I did stand up comedy and it's really like a dumb I feel like it's always just like a lifetime moment. But when I did stand-up comedy, I was like, I'm good at something and I like something more than I like being thin or like whatever. I have a reason to live, essentially. Before I had no reason to live, I'm just like, what am I going to be a fucking teacher? Or like, I wanted to be famous. (laughs) I wanted to be on TV. I wanted to be like, well, I had this like- You did. You always wanted to be. Yeah, I wanted to just be loved by strangers because I didn't get enough love as a child. And that's not because my parents weren't so loving. I just was born a really fucking needy little like like really, really sensitive, overly. I I needed more. And I that's I feel bad ever saying that I didn't get enough love as a child, but you do not become a stand up comedian because you got enough love as a child. It's just the way it is. My parents couldn't. My parents are like, love me so fucking much. <laughs> And it wasn't enough. And uh, and that's it's a shame, but it's true. So I I definitely sought fame because I thought that that would make me feel loved. And it does, honestly. But you know what? It Does it? it, it you know what? It, it finally does now because I'm being honest. And so I know that people do like me for me because I'm not trying to be anyone else. And I don't feel like I'm um, I'm not because I'm not being dishonest in any way. And anytime I say anything or like trying to get something by presenting this but i'm doing this i never feel like i'm have imposter syndrome anymore because i just am do there's there's no i'm not there's no calculation even though calculating is actually a good quality to have and women you know taylor swift gets called calculating and it's like men can be calculating they get praised for it and women but i i truly um i don't go by every business decision i make now or every life decision is like will this make me happier in a way that will do the least amount of harm that will make me happier. Like if something, cause sometimes things make you happy that harm others, like, like consuming anything like consumerism, capitalism, yeah. like seeking money, seeking fame, seeking, um, I'm just like trying to think for instance, like will buying a Tesla, this is the thing for me, will buying a Tesla, every decision I make goes through this lens, make the world a better place than I left it. Like, is that going towards my goal of when I leave this earth, it's going to be better. And I have to like, think about that. Like, maybe it will, like, maybe I will feel so cool in a Tesla and have such confidence and like this, like treating myself well, because you earned, this is something you earned. I'll feel so good driving around in that, that like, I will be in a better mood to like, and have more freedom or energy to start a thing that brings like is me able to me get out more messages of positivity like maybe we'll do more good so and maybe and and i also don't know and sometimes i just want a massage but uh or like something (laughs) so self-indulgent and i don't feel bad about that because a massage is gonna make me happier i used to always just think the only way to gain is for pain and now i don't i don't like try to like avoid things that feel good anymore and question my motives about everything you're clearly selfish and uh manipulative like there's always that voice in my head and i just kind of like let my i i, I just let don't it think go. it's true i it can't be i don't there's nothing in me that if i had a lie detector test i know i would pass it in saying that i like well, i want to be a good person but so you want to be good. believe it i believe it because you no, said it so you, many like times me. i know like, i know i'm saying believe, but like you why have do to, I have to say it, it so many times you've you said know? it like a like, hundred times but like why do i that and then that makes me question doesn't a person that's actually good not need to say it 
And then I go, oh my God, then you're probably bad. Like that's, but I, I actually, it's never ending. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> I actually think also that could be the case, but I also think it's because yeah. you really like believe that you are and you want others to understand that your intent, what your intentions are. Maybe, I don't know. I but. don't really care if other people understand. I guess I don't like, I, there's a part of me that does, but I really want to let go of that too. Uh, because if I get in that frame of mind of like, does that person hate me? Do they think that I'm this? I, it, I cannot control how other people care about me. I, By the I way, I'm going to send you some YouTube. of this. I got to send what you some that? of this. What is that? Because I see you drinking that. It's driving me. It's, um, it's I'm called BLK. No, no, no. It's BLK water. It's water, but it's, um, it has a lot of like, it helps with nutrients absorption. It has a lot of um, antioxidants and you're drinking so much pop and soda. I want to send you some of oh this. Oh my God. Okay. And so you can have I some water. I love the I know. I drink all seltzer. It's like only, like sometimes at the end of the day, I go, I've had no flat water. Yeah. Like, well, you need to that. have some like actual water that it will be good for you. So I'm going to get right. Your, anyway. And I would love some, but you know what? Even that I used to be mad at myself for not drinking water. I just go at the end of the day, I go, well, read it. You're still living. Well, tomorrow's <laughs> you, a new day. Like I let it go. Like stop this. Like you true. should be doing this. You need to do this. Like, yeah, I know. Well, try it again tomorrow. Like yeah. it doesn't like, it's not being lazy. It's just being gentler, I guess. I don't know. No, I, it's I really about don't being know what gentler. No, it, <laughs> no it, make, it makes perfect sense to me. So basically you're admitting that you like to have external validation. That's why you like being famous. Oh yeah. I don't, and, I want to be, yeah, I still crave being famous. I'm not going to lie. I like, I like people thinking I'm cool. I always wanted to be popular in high school. What if people like, what do you care? If people only want to be your friend or date you because you're famous. Oh, or? I'm disgusted by that. Like, that's the thing that I'm really glad that, that I'm, because I've seen people go from not being cool to me because I wasn't cool in comedy or what, you know, they were cooler yeah. than me in the comedy scene. And I really wanted them to like me. And now I've gotten a little bit, cool cred and now they're nice to me and i just despise yeah. them. like not despise them because they're that's whatever i have empathy for whatever made them that kind of person but i don't want that near me i even i actually respect people that still treat me like shit even <laughs> after they they might be g gaining something from being nice to me because i go at least you were a cunt through the end like at least you right. were true to yourself like but when i see someone being nice out of nowhere to me that was not cool to me before Ugh. I I'm so glad that I don't go, Oh, finally you like me. Like, I mean, I'm not going to say for no, I mean, if I, I, I probably, I, I would be pretty um, embarrassing meeting uh, a lot of celebrities that I have a lot of like snarky things to say about. So, but right. In, or I have said snarky things about now I try to talk about celebrities in a way that's honest that I would probably say to their face, but there've been times I've mouthed off about people and then I would meet them in person. I'm like, I'm such a big fan. I'm like, well, no, you're not. What are you saying? Like, I don't need really? to do that. Yeah. I don't want to do that anymore. And that's how it got into that Taylor Swift thing. I mean, I am a huge fan of hers and I was mouthing out about her in a jealous way, complaining about, she was honestly going through a eating disorder herself that she admitted to on her, Docu documentary Miss Americana during the, the her 1989 um, phase sure. of her career as a Swifty. That's like the, her 1989, like red 1989 era. She was struggling with trying to stay thin and feeling fat in photos. And like, you know, she had a lot, she was hanging out with those models and I was so fucking jealous at the time because I was just like not thin enough to like see myself in Taylor's crew. And that's all I want is to be Taylor Swift, to be around. Like, and I was just like, 
felt betrayed by my best friend. Like, God, it felt the same way that my best friend Kirsten abandoned my best friend from fourth grade till high school. Got she got adopted into the cool girls and she couldn't take me with her. That's just the rule. And I just felt like Taylor, you're not gonna take me with you. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna like make fun of you being skinny and make fun of you being friends with models. And that gives me the brand. I don't even want that. Like I just called it out. And uh, and then it was repurposed uh, in her documentary to be in a montage of the reasons why she was going to take a year off from the spotlight because it became too much, too much judgment. And I was one of the mouthy talking heads of like this chaotic right. sequence in the documentary that was like, she's too skinny, all her model friends. It's like, come on. I didn't even say anything funny. And I, I mean, Taylor Swift uh, is, is truly like, one of my be best friends, like the way I feel about her. Like I love, she's, she's changed. My, she's part of my, like, are she's you guys actually habits. really good friends? Like no, you guys are she doesn't know me at all. Um, Have you ever met her before? Yeah, I've met her backstage before this whole incident. And then she also reached out to me after I, I, so I did a Twitter, I did an Instagram apology for what showed up in the documentary. And I admitted like I was insecure. I was projecting all over the place. And like, I'm really sorry that I made anyone feel this way. And I did it not because I wanted to get her attention. If anything, I don't want her attention because I just don't want to bother her. She's so busy making art that makes me feel seen in a way that nothing else in my life ever has. So I, um, it was, it was a really bad day. I don't, when the documentary came out, I saw that how it was used in the film because I had heard my voice in the trailer and I knew I was going to be in it somehow. And I was like, that's my voice. My friends were like, you wouldn't say that about Taylor. And I was like, yes, I would like, Bitch, I talk shit about you. You think we're friends. No. Like, you know, you talk about people you love. You have, like, opinions, you know? And I was just feeling... I was probably starving that day and doing an interview. And I was just, like, eh, 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 like on BuzzFeed or whatever. And um, and that day that I saw it in the documentary, you know, Swifties weren't coming at me like I thought they would. It was more about, like, I, I couldn't listen Swifties. to Taylor Swift's music that day. And I listened to it every day of my life. Do you really? Like it's all I listen to. It's not all no I listen to, way. but it's 90% of what I listen to is Taylor Swift. Cause you, you can listen to 90% Taylor Swift and be a person who listens to music all the time. And you will not have to repeat the song for weeks Forever. because no, her catalog is insane. It's the, she's the best person to be a fan of because she's so prolific. Um, and, but, and by the way, her newest album, she, she keeps on getting better not to even like, you know, Willow, all the cardigan, like her new album's amazing. It's she's it, like, keeps it, on growing. She keeps on like growing as an artist. She's even. just honest. Like she's, she's having the same kind of moment. I think of where she's like tired of giving people what they wanted. And then also then going against what they wanted. So she can be, you know, doing the other thing. And now she's just like, I just am in love and happy and I want to go shoot. Like I want to do my own makeup for my, she's just like being more natural and like she might go back to glam. Cause that's what she'll want, but you can just tell she's being authentic now. And that's always what I've liked about her is that she could be so authentic. But that day that I thought I had contributed to her pain was just an awful day because I had, and I was like, I couldn't listen to her music because it was like listening to, I don't know. It was just like, I, I, I felt too bad that I maybe had insp not inspired, but like made her sad enough to even be able to write this. What I don't know. It was just like, I couldn't do it. And I was like, Oh my God, I cannot go live without Taylor Swift. Like, what can I do? And I was like, I have to apologize. I don't even know if she'll see it. I, I asked my, I was going to ask my agent to like put me in touch with her. Um, but I knew that they did not want to like dust this up and get me bad press. So they would have been like, 
yeah, we'll get the message to her. And then they never would have been like, we don't know if she got it, but they would have never sent it. Like because, right. uh, everyone lies. And yeah. uh, so <laughs> even though I love my reps, like they lie to protect me, I'm sure. Um, even though I wish they would just always tell me the truth, I can handle it. But yeah. I, I just decided to put it on my Instagram because I was like, this is the best shot of her seeing it. At least someone will see it. Maybe it will get read to her or something. And I put it out there and she did see it by the end of the night. She had posted a comment on it. And, but I didn't even need her to forgive me because I, I had put it out there. I knew she would see it. And that's all I needed was her to just know. I didn't really need the forgiveness. And I was able to, as soon as I posted, I was able to listen to her again. And it wasn't a thing I even knew was going to happen. But I was like, this weight had lifted of like, I did not mean to do that to that person. I explained myself clearly why I did it. And uh, I was accountable. And I didn't make excuses. I didn't go, but I was. it was just like, this is the truth. It was ugly. I don't like who that was. And that kind of made me, that set for me, an example of how I would handle a situation if I were to be quote unquote, like canceled for something that hurt someone like it could happen. I say hurtful things. Sometimes I'm a human. So I wanted to ask you about this. You kept on, you mentioned it a few times, the whole cancel culture thing. I mean, because people's careers are literally just like being just deleted for even if if they apologize, it doesn't seem to matter. It doesn't seem to matter. I, um, you know, what matters to me, I still consume things that people have given adequate apologies for. Uh, So it does matter to someone like I feel like there are ways to repent in an honest way where I go, wow, that person really does realize that they have an addiction problem and they're doing the work. You know, they can't change overnight, but to to be able you, I just feel like I I, I know when someone's accountable and when someone's giving you right. uh, an apology that doesn't work. And um, and I don't really need I don't need an apology really uh to enjoy someone's work if 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 I'm able to enjoy their work. Like it's it's I don't think it's a I think it's case by case basis. I can't I don't understand why I can still listen to Michael Jackson knowing and believing what I do believe. Right. Like, me too. Uh, me too. But I still, I still can enjoy it. I, I don't know why. I think can't it's change my mind to start hating him because of I saw the doc. I've exposed myself to the knowledge. I still, you know, there are some people that can see factory farm footage and continue eating cows. I can't. I can't do it. I wish I could. I can't. I can't I, explain why I can't. I don't know. But I can. I, I, I can do it. I mean, I, I can't. I can't eat meat. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I understand that. I feel like I'm talking about more when people, unless you're exactly on point with what mainstream media is, unless you're saying exactly what's PC, right? People, you know, jump on you and then you basically have become like ostracized from the community. Uh, That's yes. More what I'm I do have that to. fear, but I also, I've explored what could happen if that happens to me and I'll be okay. Uh, I'm lucky and I'm financially stable enough that I'll be okay. I've, I, I never, I, I save. So I've, I've, so I'm in a good position. Your financially. Roommates with your mom. Yeah, I have roommates. Like I've, <laughs> I'm not a lot of overhead. I'm single. Like I have set up a life where if I got canceled and my, all my income stopped tomorrow, I could, I, I would be happy opening a bird rescue and uh, getting into animal rescue and just having, making a different wage the rest of my life and living off my savings and making it like I'd make it work. I would, I, my happiness does not depend on me being famous and wealthy. So you could take everything from me and think I'm the worst. I get branded a racist or a, you know, uh, 
what else is terrible? Like a, mol- yeah. a child, mol- like I don't know what. Ep- I know I'm not. Yeah. Listen, yeah. racist. By the way, I've said that before. I know I'm not racist. I need to clarify that and say, I know that it is never my intent to be racist. Now, that does not mean that I am not a part of a society that has racism built into the woven into the fabric in a subconscious, conscious and subconscious way that I don't know when I'm it's not up to me to decide when I'm racist. It's up for someone else to go, hey, that made me feel racially marginalized and then i can go okay i don't want to do that or i can go you know i I don't understand that explain it to me more and i I know but i also but i just know that i'm never operating from a place where if i'm doing a joke about race i whether it it harms more than it than it helps because i argue a lot like talking about these issues that you you can't joke about rape you can't joke about whatever taboo topic race or or uh, stereotypes right okay well then if we don't talk about them then we don't if we don't joke about them then we don't talk about them if we don't talk about them then they don't exist then that we get to keep living in a world where they happen and we act like they don't exist and then the people can keep doing them because you don't talk about that and then guess what gets to keep happening the things that you don't talk about people who are people love silence like the the, the people people who are like I have, I have this whole I'm working about jokes about molestation like a chunk I've never been molested I want to spread information that I have to protect more children and to actually possibly reach out to pedophiles who don't wish to be pedophiles no one wants to be that to, to maybe implore them to get help to stay away from kids right. and to acknowledge that they have a of a, a defect that is leading them to do terrible things and to maybe like m- my jokes that I'm making might seem at the expense of victims, but it is, I re I reason that I'm going to do more good with the knowledge. I'm going to impart through my jokes, which is my form of communication and my medium that I work in than harm. But I do recognize that harm will be done because someone could get triggered by the word molestation. Cause it could send them into that. Like there's going to be harm or someone might find something I say, you know, I make a joke off a racial stereotype. Let's say I used to have a joke where um, uh, it's a good joke too. where <laughs> I was like proud of the the joke structure. It was a very early joke early on. But I said, um, you know, I always look at a guy's hands to get an idea of the size of their penis. And I was so interested in this guy the other day because um, his hands were just so black. And that's just like a, a stereotype based on uh, black guys have big dicks. Yeah. Uh, you know. No one's that's not the one everyone anyone's really mad about, but it's also it, it is a stereotype that I'm sure some person could be offended by. Like, I actually don't have a big dick or I do have a big dick and I hate that people just assume that about me or it makes us into it sexualizes black men. Like there could be problems with that stereotype yeah. in, in myriad ways that some someone could actually be offended by. And I acknowledge that. I argue that I'm not doing that joke to hurt people. And if I get, if you prove to me that that's hurting more people than it's, then it's making people laugh and just like how dumb that stereotype, then, then I'll stop doing it. Like I, I don't want to, yeah, anything yeah, I can yeah. get canceled for, I feel like I could just, even if the world hated me, but I've, I've talked to people who've been canceled and, and, and seem like they have the worst lives on the outside where everyone hates them. And, People are, I, I ran into a, a comedian who had been canceled and I asked him point blank, like, tell me what it's been like this first time coming out of like hiding. And I'm like, what has it been like for you? Like, in all honesty, you know, this is a guy that people question, would I even sit at the same table as him if he came back at the comedy cellar and sat at the table? Would we all get up? And I remember being like, should I get up? 
I believe the things I've heard and I'm not happy with it, but should I get it from the table that I've been sitting at because he just got here? No, I'm going to stay seated and I'm going to look at him and I'm going to ask him, what's your life been like, you know, as a canceled person? I was curious. And he told me a couple stories of having, you know, one story is with his, maybe with his kids at a gift shop or something. And a woman kind of whispered in his ears, like you fucking piece of shit, like said something gross in his ear that felt like, ugh, gross. Um, and I think another woman had flicked him off on the court. He was telling me these these anecdotes, anecdotes oh, yeah. of of n- uncomfortable situations to be in that I really wouldn't wish for anyone because it sucks. Um, and I I I go wow this sucks to be this guy. I was like okay I I see how this doesn't seem quite like this seems like a hard life despite what he's done. It's just. Uh, it's a hard life. And I have a little bit of empathy that he's a little shell-shocked from living this. And I was like, wow. And I go, so this is ha- like, how how many times is this happening a week? And he goes, oh, that those were the only two times. <laughs> this is a, this is the guy had been canceled a year. Who and was it? Not, I, I don't want to say, but it, two times this guy has dealt with situations where he felt people were mad at him. And to me, it was just like, okay, even when this person who has been canceled by and like, you know, is associated with the word canceled uh, and has that much of a canceling, any cancel that I get is going to be probably less than that, I yeah. would hope, uh, because it would be based on nothing because I don't, I'm not a, a sexual deviant really right. in, in a way that involves well. <laughs> unconsenting people. I'm, I'm deviant, right. but everyone's consenting so far. Right. Um right. So, but so if I get canceled, it'll it'll be maybe one one mean thing said to me a year in a gift shop. I don't know. I could deal with that. Being canceled yeah. doesn't seem so bad. I was just like kind of shocked at like, oh, I thought this guy was getting spit on in the street. I mean, that was the idea. That's how yeah. I had believed this guy led his life. So I'm not saying that's every cancel guy's experience, but I also think canceling is uh, really stupid and it should be a consumer decision. I don't enjoy comedians who come out as perverts. And they're or 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 things. I don't enjoy comedians anymore. Who I trust. My favorite comedians are the ones that are telling the truth. And my favorite comedians have been people like you know, uh, Louis C.K. Uh, I like Bill Burr. I like um, Carl. You know, like I love guys that are just like, whoa, what the fuck? Louis just admitted his kid's a piece of shit. He just told a story about his wife giving a sad hand up, like. This guy just like puts it all out there and I'm fucking like, I just trust him. And then when you learn some information, no matter what it like, when you learn the facts and, and that's, those are hard to get. But when you look at the facts and you go, okay, this person wasn't t- telling the whole story. I, as a consumer, don't really, I don't really want to hear that comedy anymore. Not because I'm like, he deserves me not to have a ticket to his show. Sure. There's maybe a little part of me, but it's like, I just am not interested I just don't enjoy, I can enjoy yeah. Michael Jackson singing about Thriller because it has nothing to do with, I don't rely on Michael Jackson to be honest about looking at little boys assholes when he masturbates. I, that's right. not a part of it for me. However, a comedian on stage telling truth about the sex stuff he does and then it's not actually painting the whole picture, you're just a, you're, that's not, you aren't why I liked you. Right, so right, I don't right. really, I'm, Chris Brown, you sing songs about love I right. know what you've done in the name of love and I don't enjoy these songs as much anymore. I still can't help but love the one where the wedding party is dancing forever, ever, yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that's before I, I didn't know it was Chris Brown at the time and I just loved it. But it yeah. doesn't that 
that it's not as easy for me to enjoy Chris Brown as it is Michael Jackson. I don't know. I think I had more experience with Michael Jackson. Maybe Michael Jackson doesn't. I don't need. I don't. I've never trusted Michael Jackson. He's never looked like he was supposed. Like he's never been authentic to me. So uh, the, the horrors he's done to children for some reason have not impacted my enjoyment of his music as much as you would think it has. And um, I just expect more from comedians. I, I don't right. know what it is, but I think it's a. a I don't believe that Louis C.K. Um, I think it should be a, a like if you if you want to met your club, have met your club. If you want to go see him, go see him. I don't really I don't know that I would buy a ticket uh, because I'm just not interested because the thing yeah. that I enjoyed about him proved to be it was it was an illusion or it wasn't it, the full truth. It wasn't the full truth. The one I never understood is the other one. Azizi. He had that show Master of None. You know, yeah, Aziz, on, I'm sorry. Aziz, that yeah. Was, yeah, I um, that one was tough, too, because I mean, I don't even like to get into it because you are. It's so weird. Comedians never liked you're never supposed to talk bad about another comedian's cancellation because first of all it could happen to you we've seen it and um and we're all supposed to defend each other to the death because we we all have each other's backs but, and, or, yeah. and yeah the aziz thing i mean i he is someone that i am i'm already like playing with my tight because i'm like getting nervous talking about aziz but the thing is that was a that was a story that that, that was a woman's experience i've had that experience before not with aziz but like where my where it I didn't want it to happen. The sex became too rough. They suddenly get horny in a way that you're like, who's this guy showing up? Like I was just on a date with Steve and now this guy that's like a little more aggressive and like has a change in tone, like horniness makes guys like do weird stuff sometimes. And I'm not excusing it, but I've been in that situation where you just end up doing something you don't want to do and things are happening that you don't want to do. And I, um, I, and I also relate to being so horny that you say or do things that you or and not having uh, awareness for the experience of the person that you're with and thinking things differently and being not empathetic or like not like I just I, I just feel that one's a tough one for me. I mean, obviously, I'm struggling with it. I'm not I. I I empathize with both sides, weirdly enough, and not because I feel like I've made someone feel uncomfortable in that way, but who knows? Maybe I have. I mean, like, I don't know that um, we always know, like, you know, in, in terms of what I'm saying about my standup, I remember hearing a story where I told an abortion joke early on in my career where it was just like, I had no idea what it was talking about, but it was like a good enough joke that I'd said it. Right. And I remember hearing that like some woman left crying and I was just like, wait, what? Like, why would that make someone cry? I had no clue that that could have hurt someone. I had no intention of doing that. So I'm wondering if I, when I look at a situation and I go, there's intent behind it or when there's just like, um, I don't know, man, this is, it's tricky because well, I could get come at for, for any of this. And I almost want you to cut it because I just, okay. I'm going to, okay. I'm going to say answer, this. I'm going to, I'm going to, no. okay. You don't know. I want to <laughs> yeah, say something about it. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, I understand. I don't want you to get more uncomfortable. Oh, no, I'll no, tell no. you. Yeah. I, I think with that, the reason why I brought him up specifically actually was, um, like I, I'm not anti one thing or another, but I will say that women aren't always angels and hundred percent truthful either. Right. You can do stuff. I've done a lot of things that I'm like, Oh shit, I shouldn't have done that. Or I regret, you know, dating that guy or going out that guy. 
I just felt like that one was kind of unfair in a way. Like, and and there's no way to even defend yourself. A lot of times you get into these situations where because of me too, the, you know, the me too movement where then you're um, even on, on, as a guy, then it doesn't mean not every woman is a hundred percent always telling the truth. You know, and I'm not saying that the women are, they shouldn't say their truth and be honest and all that. But there are some times where it is a little bit like, mm, I don't know, you know, and then. I know. Yeah. That is, that is the tricky thing, Jen, is like, we, who do we trust? Like, who do we believe? You want to believe women because they're so often not believed and right. it's, we're supposed to believe all women. And then sometimes you go, well, I've lied a lot in my life and. Sometimes right. I hear things about women. I'm like, we're not that great. Let's see. Exactly. Like, I'm like, we're just feminism is it means we're equal. Like we can be just as scummy as men. I've met women that are just as disgusting and uh, behave with just as much immunity and and uh, you know just ego and misogyny and, and misogyny and they and they use what their their assets to get what they want like yeah i mean and i'm not going to sit here pretend oh i've never done this or like played up this so i can get you know x or y i mean that's right. just not that's like bullshit if i said that was not so then coming from that perspective you know sometimes it's like it, it's not fair so i just that's why this whole cancel culture you know sometimes there are like times when it's like oh my gosh like it's just not necessarily what you see you know there's always like two sides to a story and then i know I, I that's the that's why i just uh, gave up in the end and go i don't know because you know what i don't know and sometimes it's a cop out because people go well then get the facts talk to the girl read the whole thing and i go i i don't have time Honestly, I don't have time and that's okay. And it doesn't mean I'm a bad person because I don't have time to look into like someone recently posted about how like there's comedians, all the shows in LA. Um, there's, there's too many men, not enough women on shows. There's always one woman per show. That's always the joke of like, they can't have more than one woman. It'd be like, you know, they'd have to like label it like, you know, tampon Tuesday or whatever. Like it has to have a theme if they're going to do women. Cause there's only one. And someone tweeted at me like, what are you going to do about this? And I'm like, Nothing. Honestly, I'm not. I, I I will. I'm aware of it. I can't. I I got a lot going on. I got a podcast. I do every day. I I'm I can't do it all. You know, and sometimes I talk about animal rights because it's one that really lights me up. And then I it's on a day where there's a human rights issue going on and people don't want to hear me talking about don't eat meat. I can't. It's just the thing that I'm good at right. spreading information about. So it's better for me to stick to this than the other ones because the other ones intimidate me or I'm fearful of being ignorant and I feel maybe I feel guilty. Uh, and so I don't want to look into my white guilt or whatever it is, you know, like it's it was weird during Black Lives Matter to have any vegan messaging. It felt weird to me. It felt out of place. But at the same time, I was like, it doesn't mean that animals aren't still. That's my that's my that's thing right. that I'm good at disseminating information about. And right. maybe that means I need to go uh, take a course so I can learn it. And I, I, I when it feels when I when I know it's time to do that, it will be time to do it. And um, and I can't you just can't do it all. But I, I try to just admit what I don't know. I just don't know. And I trust I, I try to trust people to let me know when they're upset with me. Like even on my own podcast, I tell my listeners, I'm like, if I say anything that you're just like, what the fuck? Like we trust her. And that, that opinion was not cool. And I felt like sad that my friend Nikki like would say that. Will you write to me and tell me that you're upset? Because I don't know until you let me know 
And uh, I either want to apologize or I want to ex- hear more why you experience that way because empathy is new to me. I used to think everyone should just think the way I think because that's the way I think and I'm right. And it's a new concept to me that people might be have a different kind of right and that right. that's okay. It's like I need to I need to constantly be open to being wrong. And that's there's freedom in that. Like uh, I love apologizing when I really mean it. I think it's the f- best feeling in the world when I really go, oh my God, I literally need to tell you sorry because I hated you. I just told this to an ex-boyfriend. I go, I made a sport of hating you for nine years and I'm disgusted by it. And I can really look back at myself. I was not ever ready to apologize to you, but I wanted to make your life hell for nine years. Anytime your name came up, I wanted to trash you. I wanted to cause you as much harm as you caused me because I hate hated myself. And the thing you did to me was confirmation that I wasn't that that I mm-hmm. that I was right, and it was the first time I had actual confirmation that a guy did something mean to me, and like, and I used every part of my everything in my arsenal to make you have a bad life, and I don't think I'd do that to someone now who did the same thing to me, and I was able to admit that I, I like it just was freeing. It was I was wrong, and. I I can admit it because I don't want to be that way anymore. And it, I'm not trying to get anything out of this guy. It was just like, I don't know. I don't feel bad about admitting when I've been wrong. And do, thank God, because I am a lot. Well, do you date a lot of comedians? I used to, um, because, but I went through them all. And uh, <laughs> the, the, I literally dated, I've gone, I've gone after every comedian I wanted to. I like, there's not really? one that Which ones I have go, you dated? Which ones have you dated? Um, I, I mean, I've, I don't, on record, I've dated, um, uh, like, the, I can't talk about a lot of them because they're like with people they like cheated on with me. You know, like, it's uh, kind of that kind of thing is like when we dated, they were like kind of cheating on their girlfriend who they're now married to. It's just like, I was yes. just like, a, a drunk person that hooked up a lot and like had, had little like dalliances with guys. But um, my, I've, my relationships have been like, you know, there was a St. Louis comedian that is not even doing it anymore. He was my first boyfriend. I was 24. And then um, my, like I, I dated the guy that I was just talking about. He was a, a, yeah. a, a rapper slash comedian, brilliant rapper. His name is Zach Sherwin. And uh, really well, probably one of the first nice guys I dated and, and I broke up with him and he did, he wrote like a rap song about me having bad breath. <laughs> And I was so hurt by it that I said, don't ever talk to me again. I hate you. And and continued to like trash him any chance I could and made him feel very ostracized from the comedy community. Cause as I got like cooler, I would like try to like, I I wanted him to not be happy because he embarrassed me so badly. And, um, and now I realize he was dealing with his hurt in a, in a way that was not healthy. And he admitted that, and he admitted that right away and I was not willing to forgive. And I now he wrote me the other day because he heard that I was a vegan. He said that, oh, I, I realized since you're vegan, you're probably like ready to like let like forgive. Oh, yes. He was like, that was my first indication. I heard you were <laughs> vegan. So he reached out and I was like, I am so embarrassed that you were you had to be the first to reach out because I've been ready to get ready for an apology. I just sent him a tower of text and now. We, then we said, I love you. And he's coming on my podcast next week so we can talk about like this 10 years of us like hating each other from afar. I mean, it's... it's wow. Uh, but my relationship... Uh, I mean, I'm really f- fucked up when it comes to guys. But I'm finally like feeling very... Like I'm... I'm exactly where I want to be. I I'm fulfilled sexually. I'm uh, I I get that. I've finally... I was always trying to look for a relationship to feel fulfill my sex life. 
because as much as I'm scared of sex, I'm obsessed with it and I love it more. Like it's my favorite. It's like, um, I, I, I love it like a, like a hobby. Like I love playing guitar. I like, I love it. Like people love tennis or golf. Like yeah. I want it to be a part of my life forever. Like I'm really, I like it recreationally. Like I don't need it to be tethered to love or procreation. Like I enjoyed kink stuff and I've always felt really embarrassed of that stuff and kind of like not shameful, but like, Oh, you're just trying to be sexual so that like people like you more, but it's like, no, I just love sex. And I'm finally, I started looking at it as like, can you find a tennis partner? <laughs> like you don't wait yeah. to play tennis until your husband, you hopefully you find a husband who likes to play tennis so you can share that hobby, but you don't wait to find a husband before you let yourself play tennis. Right. Go find a tennis. Yeah. So what I found is like, as long as I don't like have like penis and vagina sex with a guy, uh, that's something I'm saving for a uh, love and a relationship. Um, I can do anything else and really not get attached and not get as hurt as I have in the past. So that's another that's a, habit I have is I don't let penises a, in my vagina. Well, that, you don't let penises. <laughs> no, nope, no so, more. So what do you do? I do. I mean, I'm a big old, uh, I'm into anal. I'm into, um, fingering. I'm into, I don't even need, literally I could sign off and never have a penis. I mean, a penis in me again. Like how do lesbians have good sex lives? Like a guy can do just the same things like a lesbian would like dildos are amazing. The best sex I've had is literally with, uh, with is by a man who has a great penis, but is using toys. Uh, exclusively I just like being um, kind of like being tied up and just like like uh, forced to come pretty much because I'm such a control freak I don't like orgasms feel like no I'm gonna shit everywhere or something like I always scared I'm like gonna lose control like it's too wild for me so I have to kind of be forced to do it as a control freak and um, so I like like being tied up and all that stuff like I like being like kind of um, like a, a slave a little bit it, it takes me out of my um it's not control. even like a lack yeah, of it's control. Just, it's really good for my mental health. It's so weird that it is, but um, you know, being called a dumb, stupid whore who's only good for being a cum receptacle makes me feel better later on in the day. <laughs> I know that's so wild. I'm so sorry to say this on this podcast, but like I used to have a lot of shame of like wanting to be belittled and kind of degraded in bed. And like, what does that mean? Do I hate myself? It. I just want a moment where I don't have to worry about anything, and if like and that, it's just it's just very freeing to me and almost meditative. And uh, as soon as I was able to separate those two and be like, okay, this is something that is self care is having sex. Force yourself to find someone to do it with in a safe way. And now that I found that, I'm like, oh my god, this is gonna make the. Uh, I think this is gonna make me finding a husband a lot easier. <laughs> Because you I think have, like, so. I buddy. think so too. I think so I have a too. Somebody that's like not. I'm not dependent on a husband to get the sex. I'm now. I have the sex, and now if a, a person comes along that is amazing, I can't wait to make love. That's something I'm saving for marriage. But sex, I, I don't want that to be dependent two. on a relationship. I I can't because relationships do not come my way that often. Like, and I can't be depressed all the time because I can't get a guy to settle down or I can't be attracted to a guy that wants to settle down with me. I I haven't been able to be attracted to the right people to have a consistent relationship with um, or the people I'm attracted to don't aren't like, don't want to be with me. So there's something holding me back from that and it ain't sex anymore. Uh, that, so right. I'm, I'm now playing tennis a lot. 
If hold on a second, and so maybe double you, soon. I'm just uh, me, yeah, right. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, how do you like you talk about this stuff so freely? Like, what do you think about your what do your parents say? Like, this is like you oh, some of your jokes. Easy. I mean, I'm uncomfortable. Like, even like to listen, I got to make sure there's no one around me when I'm listening to like when you're opening yeah. for banging on on banging on Netflix. That yeah, whole I should opening. have had a warning. Like, get your parents out of the room. I should have well, had like, that, honestly. Well, honestly, um, I was like, listen to it. My parents were at that taping at the first oh. one. And Jen, it was the first time ever that I thought about what it might be like being there. I saw my dad's head. He has like a head like a turtle. It was poking out of the audience. They were very well lit. I didn't expect that even. I already don't like to see people's faces. I see my dad's head. And I'm talking about like choking on a dick. Oh, And I, st- I stopped. And I go, you guys, I almost left it in the special. I go, you guys. My dad is here. I just have to acknowledge, I'm saying this in front of my dad. It just dawned on me that this might be hard for him to hear. I, I'm, I swear to you, Jen, my empathy is in such a lag that I couldn't even, I never, I never considered their feelings ever. If for me, it was like, well, your daughter's going to be famous and I'm going to take care of you when you're older. So whatever means I have to getting rich so that you don't end up in a state run nursing home as opposed to the dope one I'm going to get you into that's going to have the word estates in it. Like yes. you're benefiting from me doing this. And now I'm really seeing the fruits of my labor. But yeah, when I started out at open mics being like my mom, it like, you know, complaining about my mom's drinking and talking about, you know, getting abortions, even though I wasn't even having sex, like talking about sex. I don't know. I just, I'm really grateful for the fact that I don't care about sharing that stuff. And that, uh, I don't know why though. I don't, I just don't have the thing that people have that goes, don't say that. And and it, it's embarrassing sometimes because there's nothing worse than being the girl who go like where people go TMI. Like I hate making people uncomfortable being like, I don't want to picture Like I don't want the fact that my roommate might ever hear me have sex is horrifying to me, but him, me talking about my sex life to him is not embarrassing, but like, if he's if he's uncomfortable with it, like, or if he's not, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't I like making. I don't. I'm not trying to talk about sex to turn people on or make them feel weird. And if they do, if I get that sense, then I stop. But when I talk about it on stage, I try to do it in a way that's funny enough that it it, it or it's in a dark enough room that people can kind of just slink and not feel as weird. And yeah. I don't know. I don't know why I don't have that thing. Like you know, some people do like free climb, and you're like, how? Do you, yes. Does your body let you? He doesn't you, have that thing. He doesn't have that thing either. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't have the thing for heights. I don't have the thing for public humiliation or like having porn stars. I watch porn stars, Jen, and I admire them so much because to me that is I could n- and I want to do that. I secretly yeah. want to do that. I would love sex is my favorite thing to do. It would be like mixing my favorite activity. It'd be like you know the way people play tennis recreationally. They're like, oh, yeah. man, I really wish I could go pro. I I would love to be a porn star. I really would. But I will never let myself do that because I don't want to be naked. On, like, I don't want anyone to just actually see me naked. I don't mind if you, if I describe me naked and doing sexual things, all under the guise, by the way, of making you laugh. I don't like when my comedy, like, turns people on. Like, I hate when guys are like, I was rock hard watching you. I'm like, then you didn't hear laughter and sex. Yes. You're not I'm never trying to be sexy on stage. I mean, sometimes I'm trying to look good because I want to, the the visuals to be like oh she's hot let me listen to her maybe i'll be using that sometimes and because i like to look sexy sometimes but i never am trying to turn people on and so when i do that i get grossed out or when i just make people go or like too much or a girl will go my biggest fear 
This was the thing that happened. I was on stage like doing some bit that was probably too gross and too much information. And it was one of those things that I was putting out there because as a comedian, a lot of times you put something out and you think it's just you. And then you say it and people laugh and you go, not only are they going, oh my God, me too. You're going, thank God someone out. Like you up there are taking a risk of saying something that might no one will laugh at. And one time no one laughed at the thing I admitted. And I go, that one was just me. Like that I knew, like in that moment, I was like, that is shameful. That is not relatable. And I remember this, What it was something about like swallowing comments, like something disgusting, right? And this woman in the front row goes, ew. And that's my biggest fear is like a cute girl, like a popular looking girl going, ew. And I just go, and I got defensive and I was like, so you, you've never, oh, you've never swallowed, you've never tasted cum. Oh, really? Ew. And she goes, she goes, no, I have. And I go, well, what are you ewing? And she goes, I just like wouldn't say it on stage into a microphone. I was like, you're right. That is who. Like, what is it about that? I loved it. And I thought she was shaming me for swallowing gum. She's shaming me for saying it into a microphone. And guess what? She should. That's insane. What am I doing? And it was just one of those moments where I was like, okay, that you're right. You should do me. Right, right, right. Yeah, but you know what's amazing though? It's not just a one joke or two. Like your bits oh, are like. I know. They go on, and I mean, they are funny. It's I like the I mean, Homer's the Odyssey about blowjobs. Yeah, well, it's an epic journey. It's, it's a, and it's like I'm like, okay, like if someone's around me, I'm like, oh my, okay, it's gonna be. She's finishing. It's gonna I be moving know. on to another one, and then there's a whole other riff about it, and and it gets even more. I know. Explicit, I don't know why like, I do it. It cr- it makes me sad to even hear that people might have this experience. No, so but I, it's, I, it's I honestly it's you do you. a disclaimer next time to be, just be like. <laughs> Just because I don't want people to have awkward things where they're like, I turned it on. My dad was next to me. I'm like, what were you thinking? I'm like, oh, like something in me goes, why are you watching that with your dad? But then I realized they just didn't know. So I honestly think it's a funny idea to put up a disclaimer of like, if your parents are in the room, either they're really cool and you trust them and you have that kind of relationship. And maybe you should go to a therapist and talk about how you're too close to your parents or get them out of the room. Now, like there should be something funny like that because people should be, I mean, I hate people watching awkward warned. things with my parents. You're so right. You I, know, think, I love that. And I just, that's a great bit. That's going to be really funny. Okay, I'll can start you, out that way. I'll be like, if you're watching at home, get your mom out of the room. Like, re- like I could do that. Yeah, you and can talk reference to the camera. me. Say, say this girl I talked to, Jennifer, you got to reference because I, I will be watching it and I'll be like, yeah. I, I might not in the special because it would just be too much of a, I'm just being honest with you. If I do that, I, but I will always, people will talk about that moment and I will always say I came up with it with you because of your okay. description and always credit you. I love you for that. You know, because of course, you know, when I first even like came to know who you were, I was like so shocked because you know, after talking about all of this stuff, like your self-esteem and your anorexia, it's interesting because you're like this hot blonde, tall blonde girl who looks like a model. You don't expect that kind of verbiage to come out of your mouth, number one. Mm-hmm. And so when you, when I first listened to you, I was like, la, 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 let's see what she has to say on the roast. And then boom. And I was, it was like so shocking. And so yeah. that's kind of part of it. Like it's not what people expect. And then you know, then there you are, you know, like that's, that's, yeah, I I didn't intend for that ever to be the thing. Um, I definitely always loved Sarah Silverman and she would always like, you know, she'd say things that were like really inappropriate, but she'd be like, I didn't even know what I'm meaning. Like, I'm just like, it's just true. Like that's, I loved about her is she was presenting true information through this lens of like, 
And a lot of times it was ironically yes. racist or whatever. She was playing a character that was just like, oh, cheery. And you couldn't hate her for it. And I just, I obviously was fascinated by that kind of character that she had developed, which is kind of her. Like she says, she is a cute, innocent, well-meaning, good person that says dark shit. And I just loved it. And so that, I think there was something in me that that liked that, uh, th- that switcheroo of like, oh, you expect this because that's what all comedy is—is is like it's surprise. It's like, oh, I didn't think of that, or yes. oh, that's so-. and um, so it, it adds to that surprise element. But in terms of like looking like like if you'd say like uh, you know beautiful and tall, modely like those were all things that I just uh, they might they do ring true for me sometimes. I do feel like, oh, wow, I'm legit so beautiful. Like, I never even knew that I could be this hot right. or this glamorous or look like this red carpet ready. Never in a million years did I think that I could look that way. And I do. And I let it in. And I'm like, wow, you are fucking smoking. You're peaking tonight, Glaze. <laughs> um, but that's never been... Th- that's actually something I struggle with more than anything because I've only learned how to look hot because and I say that with quotes, if you're listening, because I've learned that I've been around long enough. I know how to do my makeup now. I know what how to make my hair look good. I know uh, what, spray tans elevate my hotness by three points. Fake eyelashes <laughs> elevated another one point. So I can go in one spray tan and eyelashes. I can go from a six to a, a ten. Like literally that's like these are my I know how to dress now. So I figured out means of doing this and becoming more rich i can stay beautiful longer because of treatments and stuff so i have access to all this stuff so now i can get hotter and um and i also don't i don't know what to do with that because when you're a comedian you're supposed to be and stay in your lane don't be hot there's a lot of like why do you need to be hot to be funny and then there's parts of me that go okay people just like me because i'm the young hot girl like when i first got on the scene i was like 21 like my thing was she's young and and then that was my identity. And now it's like, oh my God, well, what if I get old and not hot? People aren't going to like me. And that's why I moved into radio because that does not, is not dependent on your looks. And I'm like, if I can get people to like that, then I'll have proof that it's not about my looks. And I, I just, um, I've always been obsessed with that. And now I, I, I grapple with wanting to feel sexy and dress sexy. I have all these opportunities to like really get like wear these insanely like sexy dresses that I've always like, would love to dress like these celebrities, but I'm not, I'm a comedian and you're not allowed to do that. And it's like, why not? Like, right. I, I don't understand. Like I've always been scared that other f- comics will judge me and think that I'm not a real standup because I'm just, I'm so sad. I'm a girl that wants to be perceived as hot. You must be so sad. And it's just who I, I do like to be perceived as hot. Sometimes it makes me feel good. It makes me feel powerful when I feel right. like, maybe men want to fuck me and women want to look like me. I don't, I'm sorry. Sometimes that gives me some weird self-esteem and guess what? I, 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 I'm just being honest. I can't help that sometimes that's the way I want to do. And it's fun to dress up sometimes and wear wacky things and be sexy. And that doesn't mean that I'm not funny. It doesn't take away from that. Or maybe it does to some people, but it feels, I'm not doing it to harm anyone. I'm not trying to make girls feel insecure. I'm not, that's why I don't do fake hair. Yeah, I used to do so. hair extensions and I'm someone who struggles with like thinning hair. I lost a lot of hair during COVID and I was so obsessed with other women's hair. Like I could not stop every time I saw a woman's hair, I would be like, cut her hair so full. My th- I was taking all these vitamins, getting all these tests done. I was obsessed. And then I went and did this F boy Island show for HBO and all the girls on that show wore extensions in their hair. 
and extensions are ubiquitous. Like everyone has them in now. If you're on TV, you have them in. And I was just like, and they were optional for me to wear them and they looked amazing. And I was like, no, I, that's, I'm not good at everything of being like, I'm not going to Alicia Keys and like stop wearing makeup. But that was a lie. I didn't want to tell women. And I kept it real because I was like, yeah. I, because I was talking to myself. I was just trying to make something for myself. So I didn't feel so bad at home looking at full hair. But um, it's hard when you indulge in the things that make you hotter and to not feel a little bit of guilt. That's why whenever I throw a Paris filter on an Instagram story, I go, this has a Paris filter on it. Please know that that is these, this, my skin is not this smooth. Like I, I gotta be honest about it when I can be. Yeah, but yeah. I definitely use that stuff because being hot equals men want to fuck you. And if men want to fuck you, they have all the power still. And they might give you some of it because when men get horny, they get stupid and they give it away. And so I, I'm not trying to stay fuckable because I want men to fuck me. I just want power so that I can do good in the world. I yeah. think that I think ultimately that's and I want to be safe. I want a man to love me and keep me safe when the apocalypse comes because I don't know how to work a gun and I'm I am weaker physically and so i there's a part of me that wants protection from a man so if that means i'm trying to be sexy to get that i don't know it's evolution i'm just trying to survive out here yeah no you're 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 so great <laughs> and I, i'm like I, ovulating you know like I, my body's telling me to have a baby so everything in me is being like look like you're ovulating which is all things to make you hot so i can't help that i want dewy skin the illusion of dewy skin i'm trying to tell guys to put semen in me <laughs> so we can pro procreate I mean, I don't want that to happen, but oh, biologically, this is what my body's screaming for me to do. So if that means putting a filter on a picture, you're damn right, I'll do it. No, right. And but then you get like, I know with the filter, you're so funny with those filters and people then can't actually look at themselves without a filter because they scare themselves. Like they're so used to thinking that that's what they look like. Because people do, men are so deceived by filters. The guys that I've talked to that go, look at this girl, I go, Honey, that looks, she looks like an anime character. There's no skin tone. Yeah. There's, how do you think that's a real face? And yeah, these girls, I mean, the, my friend, uh, Andrew, my, my roommate thought the Paris filter was just like a haze. Like he didn't know that it touches up your appearance because it's so subtle. Yeah. But it does make you like, I would oh, say 20% yeah. hotter. And people think it's oh, just yeah. like, oh no, it's just a color on it. No, 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 no. That's a lie that, it's, and it's not a, it's not a bad lie. It's, it's a lie though. And you're, how do you look in the mirror if you think that the Paris filter is how you look? Are you, it must be a struggle. And I try to keep it real. I mean, on the dating apps, I put pictures that are like the real me. Like I do not, I put pictures that are very real. I don't want to put a shot that I call like a ba-bam where you're just like, what? Like anything that I can't actually recreate myself, I will not show up in an outfit like that. Or like, I don't put that outfit on. I don't put that picture on Instagram on my dating app. And then I realized I was getting no matches. Because guys have now adjusted for the fact that they know that yeah. you're going to oversell yourself by about two or three points that they know to, to just take you from, oh, she looks like a 10. I'm going to take her down to a seven. She's probably going to show up and be a seven. So when I'm presenting as a seven, they're taking me down to a four and going, what now? This is the best this bitch can do. This is her <laughs> lie. And I'm going, no, I'm not lying. This is actually... This is this is me. This is who's going to show up. And I know you're not used to that. So I had to start putting on ba-bams. And let me tell you, got matches instantly. I, really? I just really, I was trying to be authentic and it didn't work because people are adjusting knowing that there's going to be a lie on there. And I so that's so what's happening. Yeah. That is so true. Now, it's also true that, I mean, every guy, like I know when they're, I was at a baseball, uh, basketball game, a playoff game, these guys we were with and 
you know, these guys who are like really successful have like a lot of money and they're exactly like on paper what those girls, you know, girls want to get, you know, these guys are on their apps. Like there's like nine of them like on their phone. And whenever, whenever there was an off moment or like a a down moment, they're like scrolling through all of the apps in like the same, like three minute period. Like Bumble, Hinge, Raya, like Raya, all of them at the same time. And then like, and all these girls looked beautiful to me. And I'm like, what's wrong with this one, this one, this one, this one. And it becomes not even part of like, it just becomes like a pastime just to swipe, 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 swipe. Mm -hmm. And they cut and paste the same messages. So it's not even like, there's no, there's no, there's no like even the culture has changed so much. It it really it's discouraging when you see the competition and you when you watch a guy friend of yours go through their app and uh, make apps judge apps making judgments. You go, why not her? And he's like, I don't know, I just don't like her face. And you're just like, but that's her face is great. Like you get yes. defensive, and then I go, wait, I make the same judgments. That's why I don't. I'll I'll use the apps because they remind me that there's so many single men out there, and it reminds me to look through the world like. Oh my God, there's to- so many. There's literally, sick. I know they're single men because they're here. They're out there somewhere. Be more open-minded to them in public. But I don't often, now I've done a thing on Raya where I've changed it to only here for friends because I realized that I really don't like dates where you haven't really met yet or established that you want to be romantic and you don't even know this person and you're sitting down being like, are we going to have sex and possibly get married? Like that is too much to put on a coffee. And so now I just put them just there for friends. And if a guy is interested in me enough, he's going to go, what's his friend thing? Or like, oh, I'll be friends. Like he'll still try. Like that's not going to discourage the right guy. It'll discourage the wrong guy, but it won't stop a guy that is actually like, I'll be friends with this girl. And guess what? I don't, Every single guy I've ever gone for, we've started as friends. And I'm the one that goes, okay, I'm taking this to the next level. I don't like, I really need to be in control in that way. And uh, I just found a like a, a Raya hack to make it work, which is just say you're there for friendship. So when they can't get mad at you when you don't want anything more. Right. I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, that's, you do find, like, do you see a lot of other celebrities on there? And do they approach you on that app? No, they- no one wants to, t- I, I wouldn't want to touch me either. Celebrities are very <laughs> private, especially like really famous ones do not want their sex lives talked about on stage. And that's what I'm known for. So they, uh, that's why I think they don't want to date me, mm-hmm. but it could be anything else. But I, I, I don't match with celebrities a lot, but there are ones out there that are very secure and um, and could definitely handle me. And, you know, I've I've definitely chatted with celebs before, not actually through that app, but there's lots of men that would not uh, mind having their penis talked about in detail on stage by me, which is everyone's <laughs> biggest fear, which, by the way, is not something I require. Like, I don't want to in my marriage, if I get married or have a relationship, I will not be someone who's like my husband did this. I, at least I don't think I want I really am looking for something that I like feel so protective of that I'm like Taylor Swift and Joe. Like Taylor Swift does not talk about Joe at all. It's the love of her life. She writes love songs about him, but she does not ever talk about him in interviews. They don't get photographed together. It's like something she keeps sacred where she's out there in every other way, but that's special to her. And I realized like that's what I want in a relationship. So I'm actually not looking for a man that wants to be talked about on stage. And when they are like overly cool with that, I'm it's that grosses me out. So yeah. I just need to be with someone who's going to trust me when I say I I won't hurt you. And actually, maybe I will. And hopefully I'll apologize. But it will not. 
I'm I'm a different person than I was before when I was like, I will I'm gonna talk about guys who have hurt me on stage and make them hurt. There's a little bit of that in me, but it's just more to like call out behavior that I'll empathize with rather than be like, I want them to be embarrassed. Like I don't want to ever embarrass anyone ever again. Uh, and but that was not always the way it was. And I don't think it was even Taylor Swift, I think, wrote songs about guys and got this kind of reputation right. of being like, all she does is break guys hearts and or get her heart broken because she's too clingy. And then she writes a sad song and then she's the victim and wham, wham. It's like, first of all, every fucking love song ever men that. write love songs. Bob Dylan is writing like we don't give him shit about it. So it's a, a double standard thing that that sucks. But I don't even think maybe she would write the same kinds of lyrics because she had more venom back then than she does right. now because she like likes herself. So it's it's interesting to see how you can evolve as an artist and I'm I'm not as scared as I thought I would be at uh being happy. I don't think comedy is de- dependent on not being depressed and hating yourself. Like a lot of comedians don't want to go to therapy or get on Zoloft because they think it'll zap that part of themselves. But um, yeah, maybe I'm not as like equipped to do a roast, but I don't even think that's true. I think I'm even more equipped because I'm going to enter some kind of like truth that is also like, <laughs> I'll just, I'll transcend the, ro- like there's, I'll find something else. I'll find another way to create that. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll find, I'll, I'll find a way. Like if, if, if me living a life that is just trying to put good out in the world does not sync up with doing comedy anymore, then I'll transition to something else. I just, you know, it's, I'm not like tethered to being an insult comic, but it is kind of ironic that I tell roast jokes and I'm also like, I'm vegan and I just want everyone to be happy. And I'm like telling Alec Baldwin, he was a bad father and that, uh, yeah, that, uh, what Kevin Pollack should kill himself. I mean, like I said, I said, one of the jokes I love, I saw that Kevin Pollack, I go, you do a great Robin Williams impression. I just wish you'd finish it, which is just a great joke. It's just funny the way that construct of the joke, but also I don't want Kevin Pollack to kill himself. And, and, Robin Williams is would probably laugh at that joke. And Robin Williams didn't even kill himself. He had Lewy body dysmorphia, yes, uh, which is a form of Parkinson's that literally forces your brain to turn against itself. Anyone that kills himself, by the way, has some brain anomaly going on that could explain why they killed themselves. It's yes. a disease. It's not like they did it. Their brain did it. A thing in their so like. Me making a, I'm not making fun of that. Yeah, I can still get away with that. And as someone who's thought about killing myself a lot, I feel like I'm in the club. Which I don't it. even like that either. I don't like people to go, I can joke about that because I've done that because there's a lot of things I want to talk about that I don't have any experience with. And I still feel like I should have an opinion about them. Yet I should acknowledge the fact that no, I, as someone who has never been raped, it is a little tricky for me to do a rape joke. And I'll hopefully address that if I try to tackle that subject. Can you, wait, can, before, I mean, this, not to segue, but from the rape, from the rape comment, but um, do people get paid to go on the roast? Because like, why else would you put yourself in that circumstance? Is it just, are uh, they publicity. getting paid a ton of money? But besides the PR, yeah. Well, it's a PR well? mega. I mean, they get that. That is the biggest thing as a comedian. It's the biggest thing you can do. So to me, no, it's like the Olympics. No, to have- yeah, for me, yes. For the celebrity, they do it for the for the publicity, I think, mainly. But they I also I mean, Alec Baldwin donated his uh, his check. Oh, I he think did. he got like 100 grand or maybe even maybe more. I, I don't know. But he donated everything. But I think they get paid a, a pretty penny. But I think it's it's probably to make fun of yourself and get ahead of what everyone's already saying. Mm-hmm. Like Justin Bieber, I think it was a great 
PR move because it made him laugh at himself and it made it just endears you. So uh, I think Lindsay Lohan should do it. Oh my god! I, I think she's my- the next one. I think she could really laugh at herself and be great. Is she going to be the next one? I have no, a whole laundry I just, list. I've always said that to Comedy Central. I'm like, get Lindsay Lohan, please. It would be that so would be or, or Brittany, Brittany, maybe when she's years out would be a fun one when she she's able to talk about it in an honest way and is is past it yeah. would be a good one because you want to give these people that have been voiceless like the ability to seeing someone laugh at the thing we've all been saying about behind them, their backs is yeah. I think it 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 gives you something as a person that might be someone that like it, it takes something from you. If you're able to make fun of yourself before others, like it, it takes the power away. So I think, I think it's actually a, a, co- a really cool move for celebrities to do. I Caitlyn Jenner showing up to that as someone who transitioned, who is just not only being from the Kardashian family, but also uh, uh, transgendered and, right. and Republican it, her to show up for that was not, was, was definitely a PR move because she's a Kardashian. Let's be honest. Yeah. They'll do anything. Course. But no, but it was extremely yes. brave. I thought, I thought that was a really cool move just to be able to laugh and take those jokes and have nothing really off the table, except the car accident, which more power to you have boundaries. Right. I love it. Um, but for her to go there and laugh about like, you know, trans jokes and stuff was, I think I, I, I always will uh, really respect her for doing that. Yeah, no, I think so too. I also think that there's not very many um, comedians. They use the same people because of the fact that they're so good. Like it's you, Jeffrey Ross. I mean, they, it, it, it takes a while to get good. So they like to like yeah. keep you in the stock because you get better every year. And it's something that thank God comedy central has had, like has, has been able to let you, let you learn, you know, like they didn't just see you the first time and go, Oh, they, they mm-hmm. know that you can grow. And I've really grown into that. And like, n- and now I have a system down for when I do it. It's like, I have a plan. It's like, it, but it really is the Olympics. I mean, it, it, it destroys my body and my mind. And afterwards I am like, I need like rehab. I mean, it's r- the toughest thing in, that I, I've done in, in, in the biz for sure. Oh. It's always like pregnancy. I always tell my friends, like, when I'm going through it, I go, tell, I am never doing this again. I am never doing this again. Look at me right now. I can't do this anymore. I don't even know what jokes I'm going to do. And, and, I like, and, and, and then I have the baby and I'm like, I can't wait to do it again. And my friend's like, wait, what? Uh, so like, it's, it's, it's like pregnancy. It's a hundred percent. It's like pregnancy. Yeah. So you want to tell us where we can find you in terms of your tour and everything else about yes. you. And then you have to promise we have to come back and do part two. Cause yes. like I said, like I, I, I can't wait to hear <laughs> the questions you had prepared that you didn't get to. I'm so sorry. That's yeah, that's uh yeah that oh my god I it, it happens a lot. I should have just warned you. Like don't even don't even try. Uh, <laughs> no, no one Jen, warned me. <laughs> no, I'm so sorry. I gotta I gotta put more disclaimers. Um, <laughs> I will be on tour uh all over the place. I I don't even know where I'm going because it's too much for me to look at. Like I literally know the first date, and that's I can only live day by day because it's so daunting. But I'm I'm going on tour. It's called One Night with Nikki. Was the name of the tour because I just want it to be. It's just going to be me telling stories that I haven't told anywhere else and doing and putting together my next hour of material, which is already cranking along. I'm very excited about it. But it's just it's going to be the most fun and ambitious show I've ever put on, and it's my first like full theater tour because my first one got interrupted by COVID. And uh, you can get details at uh, nikkiglazer.com/tour. And then I have a daily podcast that I'll be doing for the rest of my life, hopefully. Um, and it is like, it's like, you know, morning radio style. You can come in whenever you want, join the show. You don't need to go back through old ones. If you're a weird completionist and you're like, I can't start because there's 
been hundreds of them. Just jump in whenever you'll catch up. You'll get all the inside jokes. It's called the Nikki Glazer podcast and it's every day, Monday through Thursday. And um, yeah, follow me on Instagram, Nikki Glazer. And I think that's it for now. And F Boy Island is on uh, HBO. It's a hilarious <laughs> reality dating show that I hosted uh, in the Cayman Islands uh, a few months ago and filmed. And as uh, someone who loves the Bachelor franchise and Love is Blind and any really uh, dating reality show of that genre, this one is awesome. And it's uh, it's just, uh, you know, 24 guys show up on an island and 12 of them are there to just... They don't care about women. They just use them. They don't... They're, they're F-boys and the other guys are like there for the right reasons. And... Uh, and then three girls are looking for love and it all is crazy. And, uh, and there's lots of lies and deception and I get, I get deceived. I mean, it's, it, it was wild. I, I can't wait for people to see it because I've been dying to talk about it forever. It's, it's my favorite show that I got to host. It's, it's, it's amazing. Wow. I can't wait to see it. It sounds yeah. good. F boy Island. F boy Island. Got it. End of um, July. <laughs> End of July. It's coming up. Okay. Yeah, coming. Oh my God, we're in July. Yes, we are in July. And you are you coming to LA anytime soon so we can do this in person for part Possibly, two? Possibly that would be good. We'll do that. We'll work that around. I, I always go to LA based on whenever they need me. Like I always like try to if enough shows are paying for my way there and like putting me up in hotels, I'll be like, okay, I'll do these three together and then I'll stay out there and 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 I'll definitely hit you up during that time so I can come out uh, and and be in person. It'd be so fun. No, I love that. You're just amazing. You're, you're Likewise, just as, bro. no, seriously, you're just, you're like really one of my favorites. And I, you're just hilarious. You're even hilarious. Just talking like you're, oh, you're thanks. just a hilarious person and you're honest and so earnest and so real, which is such a breath of fresh air. So keep on doing that. Cause it's, it's what makes you really like lovable and great. Really. Thank you. I I really appreciate it. And I, it takes one to know one. So I, I coming from you, it means a lot. So thank you. Habits and hustle. Time to get it rolling. Stay up on the grind. Don't stop. Keep it going. Habits and hustle from nothing into something. All out. Hosted by Jennifer Cohen. Visionaries. Tune in. You can get to know them. Be inspired. This is your moment. Excuses. We ain't having that. The Habits and Hustle podcast powered by Habit Nest. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. 
So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast, or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam, on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.